Factors delicious, ready-to-eat meals make eating better every day easy. Wherever tomorrow takes you, be ready with pre-prepared, chef-crafted, and dietitian approved meals delivered right to your door. You'll have over 35 different options a week to choose from, including keto, calorie smart, vegan, and veggie, and more. And there's even more to enjoy with over 55 nutrition-packed add-ons that help make your weekly meal planning even more delicious. What are you guys waiting for? Get started today and have a feel-good week of meals ready to go. The options are endless with Factor. Two-minute meals. Fill up fast with Factor's restaurant-quality meals that are ready to heat and eat whenever you are. How about some snacks, some smoothies, and more? Discover a wide variety of easy options for the entire day, like breakfast, midday bites, and more. Sign up and save. We've done the math. Factor is less expensive than takeout, and every meal is dietitian approved to be nutritious and delicious. Factor is also the perfect solution if you're looking for fast, upscale options done easily. And you guys can be very flexible with your schedule. Get as much or as little as you need by choosing 6 to 18 meals per week. Plus, you can pause or reschedule your deliveries anytime. And the most important part, there's no prep. No mess. Factor meals are 100% ready to heat and eat. So there's no prepping. There's no cooking or cleanup that is needed. If that sounds great to you guys, head to factormeals.com slash script 50 and use code script 50 to get 50% off. That's code script 50 at factormeals.com slash script 50 to get 50% off. Why has Triple H been so successful? Why is Triple H running WWE better than Vince McMahon and Bruce Pritchard on Monday and Friday night? Long-term booking. What is going on, guys? Thank you so very much for joining me right here on Off The Script. This is episode 446 for your October 2nd, 2022. I am your host, JD, from New York, as always, coming to you live from the OTS venue. Thank you guys so very much for joining me on your Sunday evenings, wherever you may be, man. We're back where we got this all started, man. The OTS venue, nothing's really drastically changed. Nothing has been done. Nothing's been reworked in regards to the original place, the original venue. But I will be working on something very, very soon, man. I want to get a little bit more as far as uh, interactive elements to the overall show. I want to have it really get to a point where and again, you know, a lot of people say I, I bit his style, but I mean, nobody's really doing this style in the wrestling community. So if I found him to be an influence, I don't really understand what the problem is. And, and to be quite honest with you, the people that reached out to me to do the work for this channel, they worked with him in the past. So that's why it looks very similar. You know, a lot of the influence comes from Dr. Disrespect. And I want to really take the live stream element of what I do to the next level 
and I want to really make it a live stream, just someplace where people want to come, you know? So that's what I'm working on. We got the beer garden and we got the venue and, and these are going to be the two mainstays. I want to add all other elements to the beer garden. I want to add other elements to the OTS venue. I want to add maybe, you know, places that you'd love to see me in during the show. Whether it's down in the basement where, where the beer is brewed or in a, an actual VIP room, you know, where we could sit down and go over Super Chats at the end of the show or, you know, somewhere outside, you know, to, just to kind of break up the monotony of the actual review. Sit here, you go through the entire show, you go through the Super Chats, and then, you know, uh, we say our goodbyes. But I want to really take it to the next level. But I appreciate everybody that loves what we're doing here, man. There really is nobody that looks... And sounds as good as we do in the community, and I take great pride in that. And uh, believe me, man, we're going to be building upon that. And I thank you guys for all the support, really. We got a lot to get into tonight, man. We got a lot to get into. We're going to talk about Bray Wyatt. We're going to talk about I cut myself. So if you guys see me reach over for my napkin here, I I cut myself. Uh, We're going to talk about Bray Wyatt. We're going to talk about Seth Rollins, this... Second, which I have not watched yet. I will save it for the end of the night, man. I want to watch it and relax on the couch uh, after the stream is over. Half an hour with Ariel Hawani. We're going to go over Seth Rollins and what he said about, you know, certain things in the WWE and why they are as they are in relations to him. So we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about AEW's putrid ticket sales as of late and what Tony Khan really needs to do to get AEW back to where they were before Triple H took over. It's a very different thing now. You know, the landscape has obviously changed and things are not going to be the same for AEW. And it's really going to show, you know, who Tony Khan is as a leader. It's going to show who he is as a leader. It's going to show what AEW is made of. And we are going to go over all that tonight on the podcast, man. Uh, but listen, I appreciate you guys joining me. People are still coming on in here. I know it's a big night. I appreciate you spending your night with me. I know the Braves are playing the Mets. I know there's Sunday Night Football on. So, and, and yes, I should be watching the Braves and Mets game because this is probably the most important game of the entire year. Uh, and it would really be great if the Braves win it. But right now they're behind 3-1. But I thank you guys for joining me on tonight's show, man. Follow me on social media at JD from NY206. That's Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, and Cameo links. For all my social media are down below in the description of this very video. So make sure you guys go check that out. Make sure you guys hit that thumbs up, man. I see 421 likes. We got nearing 1,500 already in the live stream chat. I need 1,000 minimum. I need 1,000 minimum on the live stream. So make sure you guys go and hit that thumbs up. Also, I'm going to need you guys hit that subscribe button. Turn on the bell for notifications. And Super Chats are open. Not only are Super Chats open, man, we are accepting applications from all over, man. I want to see those memberships bigger than ever. We got these new emotes, which you guys can see right here. Look at that, man. You guys got all access to that tonight, and it's great. You got the <laughs> the Raquel one, but it could be used for anything. You can find something funny in the chat or something funny that I say, man. You got the <laughs> You got the get them out, which is not going to be used tonight, but you guys can use it whenever you want. But, you know, there's not going to be any trolls tonight because it's members only. We got the LTB. 
a long-term booking one. We got the rock on one for when you guys hear a, a great song that you like, whether it's On Lap or Pilot. We got the Taco Tuesday. We're definitely gimmick infringing there on Jesse. Ace, because I'm the New York ace. Some people were very confused about why there's an ace one. J.D. McDonough, the fake J.D., by the way, on NXT, calls himself the Irish ace. Motherfucker, I'm the New York ace, and I'm the real J.D. And we got the benched emoji for uh, geeks in the chat when they want to call shit. You got the bench emoji, so all my mods are going to have fun with the bench emoji. And then two new badges, man. 36 months, you got the JD title belt there. And then the 48 months, man, you got that beautiful Mustang badge for 48 months as a channel member, man. That is going to be awesome. So make sure you guys hit that join button. All of those can now, right away, be yours on top of all the old emotes. So I appreciate you guys for... Supporting the channel via channel memberships, man. It helps me out tremendously. I got breaking news. And I hope this is a huge AEW Dynamite review on Wednesday. Jesse has informed me that he will be back on Wednesday night. So if you guys missed the dynamic duo, the Batman and the Robin of the IWC, Jesse will be back on the AW Dynamite review on Wednesday's Dynamite. So make sure you guys set your clocks, set your calendars, set your notifications. Jesse is going to be back on Wednesday's show, man. I'm looking forward to it. I missed him. Not that I can't handle it myself. I mean, give me a break. But we missed him. You guys missed him. He's doing good. And he's got one last procedure to do on Tuesday. So he will be back on Tuesday. And Wednesday, I think he's going to be doing a dark stream as well just to test the waters, but he will definitely be with me on Wednesday. So make sure you guys set your uh, notifications for that. And we can definitely use the Taco Tuesday for Jesse when he gets back into the OTS venue. And tonight's show, man, tonight's show sponsored by Audible. We're going light tonight, audibletrial.com. Make sure you guys use that link, man. AudibleTrial.com slash scripts. 30 days free of their service and one free audiobook of your choice. Make sure you guys go and get that free audiobook on me, courtesy of the podcast. That's AudibleTrial.com slash script. And I appreciate you guys taking care of me when it comes to the sponsors as well of Off the Script. All right, man, let's get into the news. It's been a long week. It's been a tough week. Let's get into the news here. We're going to start off at the top. We're going to start off with the Bray Wyatt situation. And things are now getting a little interesting. They were interesting at the start of this, but it's definitely a lot more interesting in regards to Bray Wyatt. And I'm excited about what's to come on Saturday. I don't think I've been this excited for an Extreme Rules pay-per-view in a very, very, very long time. The viral campaign for Bray Wyatt has been a thing on WWE television. And the news this week says that the planned reveal should be, by all accounts, if everything goes right, should be at Extreme Rules on Saturday night. When, I don't know. Where, I don't know. But I would assume it would be the last thing on the show, whether that is Karrion Cross versus Drew McIntyre, Seth Rollins versus Matt Riddle in the fight pit match. We don't know what the main event's going to be. But I would assume it would happen at the end of the show. And it's great. Extreme Rules is actually 
taking place with only two championship matches. There's no U.S. title matches, no tag team title matches. There's no world championship matches. There's no intercontinental championship matches. It's basically just the two women's championships. And then we are getting stipulation matches out the ass on Saturday night, which should be a really, really fun show. So Extreme Rules is going to be the date. And Bray Wyatt, whether or not he's going to be there in person, we don't know. Fightful is reporting that the belief within WWE is that the White Rabbit is indeed for Bray Wyatt. Also, the reveal is supposed to happen at next Saturday's Extreme Rules pay-per-view. Fightful also learned that WWE creative has been largely hands-off with the segments. Now, they've been hands-off. WWE creative, I don't know what that means or what that entails. So who's in charge of all of this? Is this strictly coming from Wyndham and his camp? WWE clearly knows what's going on, but how much of this is Bray if WWE is largely hands-off with all the segments? And most everyone we talk to backstage, says Feifel, aren't sure of the small details that were involved throughout this viral campaign. WWE higher-ups clearly are aware of the plans and how things will work moving forward. Those in the know claim that the Extreme Rules pay-per-view was supposed to be the reveal of the White Rabbit, we were not told that the person portraying would be there physically or not, says Sap. Fans have noticed hints by WWE about why it popping up at Extreme Rules already as some of the match graphics for the pay-per-view have lanterns hanging about in the background along with fireflies and other objects used in the Wyatt family or the Fiend universe. So this is going to be a very interesting situation come Extreme Rules and something that's got the fans already buzzing. Now, all the clues, I've been very focused on all the clues, man. I, I think it's great. Now, we, we know it's Wyatt. I mean, all clues are leading to Wyatt. So let's start from the top, man. If you guys don't know what's going on, if you guys want a, a refresh or a, a crash course in this viral campaign that is the potential return of Bray Wyatt. On July 4th, Bray tweeted asking if someone knew anything about South Arkansas and if anyone local could navigate to Devil's Hole. Info found was a page in regards to Devil's Hole on undergroundozarks.com, and the page form had an admin by the name of The White Rabbit, which started all of this off. In the first QR code, we can see that The White Rabbit jumps to select letters while playing a game of Hangman. The first five letters that The Rabbit jumped to spelled the word demon, D-E-M-O-N. This could be in reference to The Devil's Hole that I just mentioned in the first clue. Or this could be reference to Bray Wyatt, who was the demon, the fiend, right, for his alter ego coming out of the Firefly Funhouse. The question in the first QR code during the Hangman game that the, the White Rabbit was playing was, who killed the world? The answer to this was, you did. And in a July 15th, 2015 uploaded interview where Michael Cole was interviewing Bray Wyatt, in that interview, Bray Wyatt said, I did not make the world the way it is. You did. So clearly, already, we know this is all for Bray Wyatt, but WWE went on and on and on, all these different clues and things to figure out. The font style used for the answer to the question, you did, who killed the world, you did. The font style was the same font used in several designs made for Bray Wyatt on WWE.com for shirts. The White Rabbit was being played for the live audience. That's what people really picked up on first. In the arena when the White Rabbit by Jefferson Airplane was playing, the arena went dark, had red lighting, 
And we got people throwing up their cell phones, very reminiscent of what they did during the Wyatt family entrance. Fireflies is what they resemble. Embrace Twitter bio, it says, he who opens the door below, matching the rabbit hole that leads down below. Devil's hole. Bray's Instagram picture has the same checkered pattern as the video from the QR codes that we've seen up until this point. It's upside down as it is in the film Alice in Wonderland as Alice is falling. And there is a lot of Alice in Wonderland references to Bray Wyatt, a lot of imagery from Alice in Wonderland, which I'll get to in a second. In the poster for Extreme Rules, it shows a lantern surrounded by fireflies, very popular with the entrance to Bray Wyatt. In an episode of, and this is funny, with the, with the Extreme Rules graphics, with the lantern and the fireflies shown in the graphics, I honestly thought that this was old assets. I thought this was old graphics used from the Extreme Rules horror show pay-per-view that WWE just reused and kind of updated here for 2022. That was not the case. These are all new graphics, and these were done intentionally. These clues were left intentionally in the Extreme Rules graphics. Now, not all of the graphics had these lanterns and fireflies. Only some matches had, which I don't know if it's leading to us potentially with him revealing himself during one of these matches. I know Rollins and Riddle had it. I don't know if that's going to be the case. He definitely has history with Rollins. Um, But other matches did have it. Some did not. And it is all new graphics. It's not reused assets or graphics from the horror show pay-per-view. In an episode of the Firefly Funhouse in October of 2020, Bray was dressed as the Mad Hatter with the numbers 1911 on it, 1911. While Alexa Bliss wore black and white checkered dress, making reference to Alice in Wonderland. In another QR code, the rabbit hops through a door playing a game, this little Pac-Man-like game where he's evading little fires going through the puzzle. In the center of the puzzle, there's a red door. He goes through the red door, and then we see the white rabbit with the word patricide appearing. The word patricide means killing of one's father. In an old FCW promo where he speaks of killing his father, talks about his daddy on a shrimp boat and it going down in flames with him being the only one on it. Patricide, the killing of one's father. In the QR code from Monday Night Raw on the 26th of September, Starts the same way Bray's WrestleMania match started with John Cena, the Firefly Funhouse. Same QR code from the 26th of September on Raw also showed a number of 40701. This is the zip code for Corbin, Kentucky. Now, I initially said that Corbin has nothing to do with the Bray Wyatt reveal. Baron Corbin, that is. But Baron Corbin hasn't been on television. And Baron Corbin's been gone. The last time we saw Baron Corbin was when he was picked up in a limousine by JBL, John Bradshaw Layfield. Now, I don't know what they're doing with that, but we did see wolf imagery in the last clue with Bray Wyatt on SmackDown. Now, this could mean anything. It could mean him being the big bad wolf. I think he has a a tattoo of the big bad wolf on his chest, if I'm not mistaken. There is wolf imagery with Bray Wyatt as far as tattoo art is concerned, if I'm not mistaken. But, I mean, I I just have to throw it out there. You know, the lone wolf, Baron Corbin, could be a thing. I I don't think it is, but it's something to keep in the back of your mind. And the fact that we got Corbin, Kentucky, Corbin, Kentucky could also mean Baron Corbin is somehow involved in this. Maybe he's a part of the rumored Wyatt Six 
I know Bray's not coming alone. I, I would I, I would like to see Bray not come alone, to be honest with you. I, I would hope that he's with others, and, and this is a, a gathering of talent that is going to be reminiscent of the Wyatt family or, or something along those lines. When you Google this zip code of 40701, it shows hotels there, and one of the hotels is the Baymont by Wyndham. Like his real name, Wyndham. Now, the Wyndham Hotels is spelled W-Y-N-D-H-A-M. That's not the way Wyndham Rotunda spells his name. Wyndham spells his name W-I-N-D-H-A-M. Also, Corbin, Kentucky has a record shop named White Rabbit Records, which I'll get to in a second. Uh, This is also the location back in January 2020 where the Fiend beat The Miz to defend the Universal Championship. On YouTube, there is a YouTube account called White Rabbit Records located in Corbin, Kentucky. And that YouTube account is 15 years old. So when you go to this account, it has the music video of Jefferson Airplane, White Rabbit, which was uploaded 15 years ago. Yesterday, or not yesterday, um, this week, there was a second video that was posted to the account with the number 04062 which is the zip code to Wyndham, Maine. And Wyndham, Maine is spelled W-I-N-D-H-A-M. Wyndham, Maine. Wyndham is the real name of Bray Wyatt. On September 30, SmackDown, we got another QR code that leads to a WWE webpage located at www.wwe.com slash 1911. The numbers at the end of the URL, 1911, like I mentioned, were also on a Firefly Funhouse episode. That Funhouse episode, I know you guys remember, where Bray was dressed as the Mad Hatter from Alice in Wonderland. The numbers on his hat were 1911. On the bottom right of the QR video, you could see a tiny white rabbit. This is from Friday. In the file name for the White Rabbit, there is a hidden phone number. Phone number which you can actually call. 855-489-5099. When you call this phone number, it leads to a demonic voice which can be heard in backwards speech. And it's all decoded. And if played backwards, you can hear the message correctly. At the end, the words, I am the way into the city of woe. Bray used the same words in a promo once. This is from Dante Alighieri, a poet or a writer, Dante Alighieri. This is the same quote at the end of Dante says, abandon all hope who you who enter here. The same quote which can be found on the door to the Firefly Funhouse. Abandon all hope ye who enter here. And during a segment on SmackDown, while the announcers were talking, a guy, you, you, you saw him. They didn't make mention of him whatsoever. A guy is standing behind both Corey Graves and Michael Cole, and the sign reads, Revel in what you are. Bray quoted this in a tweet back on October 27th, 2019. So all of this is leading to Bray Wyatt. I mean, if it doesn't lead to Bray Wyatt, it's going to be one hell of a complete fucking disappointment. It's going to be one huge disappointment. Now, the only thing that we need is him to come back. That's it. It's not a matter of of if. 
definitely a matter of when. Is he coming alone? There are theories out there claiming that he's coming with Karrion Cross. One of the QR codes that we saw in SmackDown actually happened during a Karrion Cross vignette promo on SmackDown where he was talking about his strap match with Drew McIntyre. Quite the choice there when everybody's already claiming that Karrion Cross could be the White Rabbit. Well, that cross has something to do with Bray Wyatt. We don't know. Is he coming alone? Is Karrion Cross involved? Is Dexter Loomis involved? There are different things involved here on WWE television that could definitely lead to a Loomis and a Cross being aligned with Bray Wyatt. A lot of people's theories lend to the Firefly Funhouse and all of the characters in the Funhouse, you know, basically coming to life. Karrion Cross could be the White Rabbit. And Dexter Loomis could be Mercy the Buzzard. Nobody knows why Dexter Loomis is attacking The Miz. We haven't gotten a, a solid answer from why or, or of why, why Dexter Loomis is attacking The Miz. Not one answer at all. Nothing. It's very unlike Triple H to not give us any clues. Seven weeks now, and Loomis has been chasing The Miz around. Miz won't speak. Miz won't tell us what's going on. Let Loomis doesn't speak. So we're not going to hear it from him. Is somebody involved with Dexter Loomis? Where's Tommaso Ciampa? He's been mysteriously missing from WWE television. I said weeks ago that I thought Ciampa had something to do with why Miz was being attacked. Is he aligned with Dexter Loomis? Are they both aligned with Bray Wyatt? I don't know. Cross, Scarlet, we don't know. Corbin, Baron Corbin, mysteriously missing from television unless they're doing a complete revamp of his gimmick. I don't know. Are they going to align him with JBL? I don't know. Alexa Bliss, there's been weird things happening with Alexa Bliss as well. Lights went out during her match with Bailey a couple of weeks ago. The commentary team stating that Alexa Bliss is a shell of her former self. The lights went out during the tag team match on SmackDown with Solo Sokoa and Sami Sami Zayn against Ricochet and Matt Cat Moss. Lights just mysteriously went out. I thought I was seeing things on Friday Night SmackDown. What does that mean? I don't know. I don't know. But everything is leading towards a Bray Wyatt return on WWE television. The most damning of all. And if I can find the, the whole thing here with Wyatt. The, the whole thing is leading to Bray Wyatt coming back. But there is one huge clue that WWE gave us as far as Bray Wyatt is concerned. And it definitely leads us to Extreme Rules. If I could find the article, I want to see what the exact quote was, if I can find it here. There is uh, nothing in regards to Bray Wyatt here. The the other thing was, you know, a lot of people were thinking that it was Aleister Black coming back. There was a source code on last week's QR code that led you to the website, and within the source code, uh, there were lyrics to Aleister Black's theme song. And a lot of people were like, oh, is Aleister Black coming back to the WWE? No. Aleister Black is not coming back to the WWE. This has nothing to do with anything. Aleister Black. But everything is leading towards Extreme Rules in Philadelphia. Everything is leading towards Extreme Rules in Philadelphia. And I would be shocked if we don't get either a major, major, major clue and anything regarding Bray Wyatt at at Extreme Rules. It, It needs to be something that WWE gives us. Otherwise, it's going to be a huge letdown. And I said, with everything that WWE's done up until this point, 
they've garnered so much interest for this. If they wait too long, people are going to get pissed off. If they wait too long, they're going to lose people's interest and they're going to lose people's patience. You might as well strike while the iron is hot with Bray Wyatt right now. If they do another, I don't know, four, five, six weeks of build with these QR codes and these clues, which we all know have something to do with Bray Wyatt, why are you waiting so long for something that we already know is there and who it's for? Why are we waiting so long? WWE needs to strike while the iron is hot and get this man on television, or or if, if he's not on television, something as far as who this is for. Because fans are not going to be happy if they have to wait another five, six, seven weeks of teases and QR codes to uncover clues that we already know are for Bray Wyatt. How many more clues do we fucking need for Bray Wyatt? There was the Big Bad Wolf also. The 1933 Disney film Silly Symphony cartoon based on the fable of the three little pigs. Now, while there have been some attempts to decipher how the pigs and their houses of straw, sticks, and brick are relevant to Bray Wyatt and WWE's mystery surrounding these QR codes, the most obvious connection is that the Big Bad Wolf and the Fiend both share a catchphrase, let me in. So I don't know if you guys picked up on that, but that is where the correlation comes in as far as the Bray Wyatt situation with the Big Bad Wolf that we saw in the QR codes. Could be for Corbin. We don't know yet. We don't know if Corbin's going to be aligned in this whatsoever, but the Big Bad Wolf and The Fiend both have the catchphrase of let me in. Big Bad Wolf is only ca- is the only character who gets a makeover in this video that we saw on Friday, and it flashes to this nightmare of Little Red Riding Hood's nemesis in... There's no I in team, but there is one in Indeed, and that's the hiring platform that you need to build yours. When you're hiring, you need Indeed. Instead of spending hours on multiple job sites searching for candidates with the right skills, Indeed's a powerful hiring platform that can help you do it all. One of the things I love about Indeed is that it makes hiring all in one place so easy because Indeed does the hard work for you. They show you the candidates whose resumes on Indeed fit your description immediately after you post so you can hire faster. Join more than 3 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. Start hiring now with a $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com slash sports. Offer good for a limited time. Claim your $75 credit now at Indeed.com slash sports. That's Indeed.com slash sports And support the show by saying that you heard it on this podcast. Indeed.com slash sports. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Grandma's Disguise. So we see the big bad wolf in Grandma's Disguise. During the final visual of the video that we saw on Friday, Morse code. Now, I don't know nothing about Morse code. Some people out there were deciphering this Morse code in the video. This Morse code actually spelled out as Azael Reborn. As Azel Reborn, or however you pronounce this name, A-Z-A-Z-E-L. Now, this is a demon who pops up in a lot of fiction. The Old Testament roots from the Bible are interesting. Azael, in Jewish legend, is a demon or evil spirit to whom, in the ancient rites of Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, a scapegoat was sent bearing the sins of the Jewish people. Yom Kippur is actually happening next week, October 4th and October 5th, just in time for Bray's rumored return at Extreme Rules, Sure, that is just more of a coincidence 
for Bray Wyatt and the Firefly Funhouse. So with all of this, you know, we got so many other clues that I don't really feel like we need to go over here. Revel in what you are. This was something that he said that I mentioned before uh, on Friday. Revel in what you are. This was a tweet that he sent to Rob Schamberger, who's a canvas artist for WWE. So he tweeted that to Rob Schamberger. And it all lines up with Bray Wyatt. But like I said, we need to get conclusion to this this week. If it's not this week, I, I don't know what else WWE has to tell us. So I'm loving everything that went on here. Everything that I thought this was a brilliant campaign. And just like everything else, a lot of people are saying, Bray Wyatt, Bray Wyatt, Bray Wyatt. The thing is, yes, it's Bray Wyatt. And it's, great, it's great to see Bray Wyatt back, but what do we do next? This is what I'm concerned with. And I'm sure they have it under control, and I'm sure that plans are in place. But what does he do after he is revealed? Who does he go after? Who is he coming for? What is the plan? What is his mission? What is he going to do? That's what I'm concerned with. Now, knowing him, he's probably got something mapped out to where he wants to go. People who he wants to feud with. People that he's going to feud with are going to be very important to the overall storyline arc of Bray Wyatt. Bray Wyatt, I never saw go to AEW. I never seen him going to AEW whatsoever. But Bray Wyatt, coming back to the WWE, was always a real possibility. I, I never once thought that this man was going to go anywhere and start something brand new, start a new character, start a new storyline arch. He, he, he's going to come back because he wants to tie up what had happened last time that was ruined, and he's going to come back and he's going to tie up all those loose ends and really give us the direction of what he wanted to do with the Fiend character. Maybe we get something new. Maybe we get something that's a mix of old and new with Bray Wyatt. We don't know. So who he's going to feud with and who he's targeting is going to be a very, very interesting aspect to all of this. And the biggest thing of all, to me, is when Bray was basically killed in the Vince McMahon administration, Bruce and Vince, they didn't know what to do with Bray's creativity. They wanted to take control of everything because they knew exactly what they wanted to do, and they didn't give a shit what Bray wanted to do, and what they wanted to do never really matched his, his image or his, his story. They wanted to take control of it because that's what they do. They micromanage, and basically they don't want you to get over based on your ideas. They want you to get over based on their ideas so that they can relish in it and really say, hey, we made this, we made this guy, this is our idea, it's because of us. So there's a huge disconnect from the old administration to everything that was going on as far as the performers are concerned. Triple H, and I said this once on Friday as well, Triple H leading Bray Wyatt in the new administration is going to allow Bray, Bray Wyatt to flourish. He's going to sit there and he's going to let Bray do what he's got to do to get over. He's going to let Bray do what he's got to do to have fun. That's the thing. Triple H cares so much about character development and characters on his television show and at the same time caring about the performer's happiness that he's going to go out there and work within the boundaries of Bray Wyatt and the character and he's going to let him do what he has to do. He's not going to overstep his boundaries. He's not going to be micromanaging. He's not going to be defiant and say, this is what I have to do. You know, this is what you need to do. This is the only way, this way or the highway. No, it's not going to be that. At all with Bray Wyatt. It's going to be a very interesting thing to see and watch how it plays out on television because we've never seen Bray be given a full creative mode to do what he wants to do. 
I'm not saying he's going to have 100% complete control over his character because nobody does at the end of the day but Roman Reigns or Brock Lesnar, right? But Bray, to have him have at least half of creative control about what he wants to do, as long as it's okayed by Triple H and management, it's going to be a very different Bray Wyatt that we see. This may be the best Bray Wyatt that we get in WWE television, and that's the most exciting part to me. That's the most interesting aspect of all of this and the part that I'm looking forward to most. So we will see what happens with the Bray Wyatt situation. And it's going to be something that uh, we're going to keep uh, a very close eye on because we have Monday Night Raw coming up. We got another set of clues, I'm sure, on Monday. We got Friday, which is going to be another set of clues. And then Fridays may be the biggest day of all for the clue on Friday because it's the go-home show. It's the season premiere of SmackDown. Keep in mind. So we may get the most blatant of all the clues so far on Friday. Then we get to Philadelphia in Extreme Rules. And that's where we may see the entire thing unveiled. So it's going to be a very, very interesting week because this is going to be even hotter than it is now on Monday and then again on Friday and then on Saturday. It's going to be everything that, uh, you know, it's going to be the one thing people are going to be talking about the most. So I'm excited to see how it plays out. And Bray Wyatt back on WWE television, something that I have been excited for for a very, very long time because he is definitely one of the guys that I look to as a future piece of the company, and never should have been fired in the first place. There's a lot of concern. Speaking of Bray Wyatt, last time he saw himself on television was in a feud with Randy Orton. Randy Orton right now, there's a lot of concern with Randy Orton and his back injury and the severity of it in WWE. His last match happened on May 20th. This was an episode of SmackDown where RK Bro dropped the Raw Tag Team titles to the Usos in a unification match. Post-match, Orton was laid out by the bloodline to write him off television. It was later reported that Orton was dealing with a serious back injury and that WWE feared this would cause him to go under the knife and get surgery, but likely be out of action for the rest of the year if he did go get surgery. In the latest edition of the Wrestling Observer, Dave Meltzer reported that there is a lot of concern regarding Orton's back injury and its severity. It's unclear what the exact injury is and whether Orton has undergone surgery or not. Nobody knows. It's none of our business. He's been within the company since 2001. And after putting, you know, or being put in evolution, WWE's used him as a top star for the last 20 years. Orton previously talked about as well, teaming with Matt Riddle, saying that RK Bro reignited his passion for the wrestling business. I said this in my extra during the week when we talked about this news as it broke during the day. I went on YouTube and I made a a video on it and and I talked about Orton and the need for Randy Orton on WWE television. Does WWE need Randy Orton back on television right now? The answer is no. The whole landscape of WWE is changed right now. Triple H has taken over. We've seen Dexter Loomis come back. We've seen Karrion Cross come back. We've seen Hit Row come back. We're getting LA Knight back on television, away from that putrid maximum male models garbage. We've seen Candice LeRae come back. We've seen the emergence of Tommaso Ciampa. Johnny Gargano came back. We've seen, you know, countless others come back. And there will be more comebacks, and there will be more returns in the WWE. But do they need Randy Orton right now? The answer is no. This is a different time and a different place and a different leader. Vince McMahon 
needed Randy Orton to be back on television, not Triple H. When you had Cody Rhodes go down with injury and he was wrestling Seth Rollins with a torn peck inside Hell in a Cell, and then he went out, and we don't know when he's coming back. I would, I would assume he'd be ready to go by the Royal Rumble. But when, when, when Cody Rhodes went out with injury, you know, it was in a time when Randy Orton basically was taken off of television in May. You know, when you lose Randy Orton and Cody Rhodes basically within weeks of each other, that's a big fucking deal. That's a loss that Vince McMahon would never would have been able to come back from because he was, inca- he was, he was incapable. He was incompetent. He, didn't know, he did not know how to build new stars at all. He did what he wanted to do. He wanted to give you the same shit every fucking week. He was suffering from Alzheimer's or whatever the fuck his case was. He did not know what to do. Triple H, he doesn't need Randy Orton back on television. Randy Orton can stay out for as long as he needs to to get better. If we don't get Randy Orton back on television, I'm not going to lose sleep. Would he fit back on WWE television with war games coming up against the bloodline? Of course he'd fit on team whoever against the bloodline. Maybe he's a part of the Bray Wyatt situation. We don't fucking know. Maybe he's ready to come back and all of this is a red herring. Why would the WWE give information on Randy Orton? Oh, yeah, he's coming back soon. They want you to not know. They want you to keep guessing. Yeah, don't worry about Orton. We're worried about the severity of his injury. One week you heard he didn't need surgery. Now we're worried about the severity of his injury. Is Randy Orton involved with Bray Wyatt? Who the fuck knows? We don't know. But if he comes back to WWE television, he's got a nice placement in the bloodline if they want him. War games against the bloodline. They put him out. Makes sense. Put him on the team, whoever's opposing the bloodline. But if they keep him out, I'm not going to be needing Randy Orton back on my television anytime soon. We got so much shit going on right now to keep our interests at bay. Save Randy Orton for a Royal Rumble appearance. Make the Royal Rumble as big as you could possibly make it. WWE's got so much going on right now where they're taking care of for the rest of the year. We don't need Randy Orton back. Cody's set to come back during the Royal Rumble. Randy Orton's set to come back for the Royal Rumble. We do not need to rush Randy Orton back to television because Randy Orton right now is not needed at all. If this was Vince McMahon, I'd be saying, shit, Cody Rhodes and Randy Orton out. I don't know how WWE is going to be able to put on good television with two top guys like that out and Roman on a part-time schedule. They would have really been floating up shit's creek. But this is not Vince McMahon. This is Triple H, and things have been a lot better since he took over. There was a rumor killer in regards to Kevin Dunn. Believe me, I'd be the first to tell you when Kevin Dunn was fired. The geeks online that claim to have sources have zero sources and should not be taken seriously at all. They also have zero IQ, if anybody believes that what they're shilling on social media is legit news. I I don't know why. Of all the accounts that should be fucking banned off the platform, it is those accounts pretending to be journalists with sources. I am not a journalist. I'm a YouTube content creator. There's a difference between a YouTube content creator and a fucking journalist. I am not a journalist. I get media to the AEW things because A, I apply as media, and B, they ask you what type of media for. I put content creator. I make content for YouTube. I don't go out there claiming I have sources with fucking absolutely nothing backing it. So this account on Twitter, he who shall not be named, who has zero sources said that Kevin Dunn was about to be fired from WWE, that Kevin Dunn is about to be let go. 
Rumors started going around that Dunn had departed the company, but Mike Johnson put an end to that, shot down those rumors. In a post earlier in the week, Johnson said, and I quote, Kevin Dunn's status is 100% unchanged with the company and anyone who is claiming otherwise is 100,000% incorrect in their claims. Dunn has been with the company since 1984 and rose up the ranks, becoming executive producer and chief of global television distribution. He's been a producer for WWE since 1988. Some fans would have hoped to see Kevin Dunn replaced. After Vince McMahon's resignation as chairman and CEO, Stephanie McMahon was filled in. Everybody thought, yep, he's gone. Everybody hates his camera shaking and his camera cuts and this and that. They've been blaming Kevin Dunn for that over the last 10 to 15 years. Believe me, I hate it. I don't like it either. However, there are people in the company who are fine with this production style and believe that Kevin Dunn, when he leaves the company, nothing will really change as far as WWE production is concerned. And probably not. He's going to leave a lasting image forever in the WWE. That was his gig since 1988. It ain't going anywhere. WWE knows one way and one way only. And if Vince is out, I could absolutely see Vince McMahon telling the current administration, whatever you do, because I made a promise to him and his family that he'd have a job for life. Please, you can do whatever you got to do to do whatever you got to do on the show, but keep him in his current place because that's something that I do not want to go back on. Kevin Dunn may be there. You know, we talk about Vince McMahon dying in the chair. If Kevin Dunn is going to play ball with the new administration and really keep to himself, I don't see him going anywhere anytime soon. Would I like to see him go? Yes, because when I think Kevin Dunn and see Kevin Dunn, you know, I think Vince McMahon, and we got to get rid of everything that was Vince McMahon because it just doesn't work now. But I could see Kevin Dunn, we talk about Vince McMahon dying in the chair. Thank God he's gone. I could see Kevin Dunn dying in the chair. I could see Kevin Dunn dying in that producer's chair, and that's the only way we'd see Kevin Dunn out of WWE. But listen, if I heard anything regarding that and Kevin Dunn being gone, I would have absolutely been on here like that, talking about, yep, goodbye, Kevin Dunn. And we'd have a nice beaver tribute to Kevin Dunn. Please, do not believe the fucking geeks, and I'm sure the fat sweat hogs... The neckbeard fucking virgins online who have absolutely zero sources. And I'm sure they're watching. Get the fuck off social media. WWE title belts, they've been redesigned, they've been completed, and now we just wait. Over the last few weeks, WWE has had rumors go around on social media about Triple H making changes to numerous WWE title belts. At Belt Fan, Dan previously reported that new designs for both the men's and women's tag team titles are currently being worked on. Dan noted the titles that have, uh, right now, uh, in production, existing designs with black straps, dual plates, and a big WWE logo in the middle of them. There are also old, never-used tag team titles, which look like the women's tag team titles, on colored straps. Fightful reports that at least three new sets of belts are finished and currently in hand. By WWE, sources indicated that other design alterations may have been mentioned but did not elaborate past that. WWE talent that Fightful has spoken to said that they've been in favor of some changes to the title belt personally regarding whether they prefer the Velcro versus snapbacks 
Several wrestlers said the Velcro helps them when they need to attach the belt quickly, but cosmetically, it looks bad. The report noted that there were already in plans in motion to utilize some new designs before the WWE regime change, with Triple H replacing Vince McMahon as head of creative. And Triple H, you know, he is a lover of the old school. And I know he wants to do things that are very reminiscent of the old school, mix old with the new. Most of the title changes, you know, would be welcomed by fans because I think the majority of the fans don't really care about the WWE titles and the designs that they have. They're very boring. Everything looks the same. And I mentioned this several times when talking about this. If WWE is going to continue with the brand split, and I believe that they are not getting rid of it anytime soon. So if they're going to continue, we will see a WWE champion on Raw and a Universal champion on SmackDown. We will have two world champions. How do you feel if you're a world champion? I'm holding a, a, a WWE championship title, which is the standard bearer in the, in the business, in the industry, the WWE championship and the lineage that that title has. You're holding that championship and you look at the SmackDown champion and he's basically the universal champion, the same title design that I'm holding. What makes both champions stand out outside that they're on different brands? You got a fucking title that looks exactly like mine, but yours is blue and mine is black. Because black is the color, the universal color of the, of the WWE title. And the universal championship, depending on what fucking show it's on, it could be blue, it could be red. It's stupid. It's absolutely stupid. So if they want to keep the universal championship, fine. Keep the universal championship the way it is. If you want a WWE championship, it should honestly look more like a WWE championship. It should be a take on the old school winged eagle belt, where it still has that big WWE logo in the center. Still, you know, with that big... That big, noticeable WWE logo. You know how they love that branded logo up front and center so you know which championship belt you're wearing. That should be incorporated into a new design to give a new world championship, a new WWE championship, a feeling that it looks like a fucking WWE World Heavyweight Championship and not like the fucking Universal title. Same thing with the Intercontinental title. I don't know why they ever went away from the old classic Intercontinental title, unless there's some copyright reasons or trademark reasons where they can't use those old designs because they don't have that person, whoever made those championship belts, they don't have that guy working for them anymore and they can't use that licensed merchandise, right? I don't know. But the Intercontinental title could definitely use a makeover. Make it more fall in line with what we used to see back in the 80s and the 90s. Tag team championships. I would love to see something that's multicolored, whether it's on the plating, on a black strap, signifying Raw and SmackDown, unified. Make it come off as if they are unified championships. Same thing with the women's tag team titles. The women's championships in WWE, I felt, could be unified as well. We don't need two women's championships. Everything looks the same. Everything looks the same. The United States Championship, probably, in my honest opinion, the best-looking WWE main roster championship. It just got a redesign not too long ago, but who knows? Maybe WWE goes and changes that back to something more old school as well. But there are three designs. What those designs are, I don't know. Tag team title, maybe the world title. I feel like the world title definitely should be the one thing that they change. But new title designs are coming. I want to look at somebody wear something that looks prestigious. I want to see something that looks prestigious, though, that when you watch it on television, you get a sense of, oh, shit, this is a big-time champion, this is a big-time title fight. If all the championships look the same, I mean, it doesn't really give off a, a vibe or an aura of, hey, man, this is important, if, if all of them look the same. 
I remember watching this shit back when I was watching the Bret Hart's and the Mr. Perfect's and the Shawn Michaels and the Razor Ramones holding Intercontinental title. That shit glistening in the fucking arena spotlight. You want them to basically reach through your television and fucking touch that thing. I want that. I want to be that. I want to hold it, right? I don't get that sense at all with any of these championships in WWE. That's something that's missing from the current product, and I hope that Triple H goes back to having the younger generation of this generation feel that same exact way that we felt back when we were watching it as children. That's what's missing. WWE is considering changing the day one WWE pay-per-view event. In the latest edition of the Wrestling Observer Newsletter, Dave Meltzer reported that a decision will be made this week on whether or not they will change the date of the event. There is talk that the date may be changed. If the date is changed, then WWE will make an announcement next week. Either way, the venue will stay the same. Brock Lesnar is advertised for day one. The next date that WWE has him listed for. When is Lesnar coming back? Day one. It may be Saudi. We don't know. We don't know what WWE's got planned for Saudi. We don't know what they got planned for Crown Jewel or what the Prince wants. We may see Lesnar before day one, and we may see him in Crown Jewel in Saudi Arabia. There have been rumors that WWE is booked for Crown Jewel. Uh, Lesnar, as, uh, as I just mentioned, booked for Crown Jewel in November. He's also advertised for the Royal Rumble in late January and obviously going into WrestleMania season. So we will be seeing Lesnar uh, sooner rather than later. But the inaugural day one show was held on January 1 this year in 2022. And the first show was billed as a premium live event instead of a pay-per-view event. This is the WWE way of saying, this is our show. This is premium live events. And day one this year was the first event to really coin that name. It was headlined by Lesnar winning the WWE title in a fatal five-way with Seth Rollins, Kevin Owens, Bobby Lashley, and Big E. After his match with Roman Reigns was canceled due to Reigns missing the show because he tested positive for COVID-19 back in January. If they change the date, it's ridiculous. WWE's doing day one this year, uh, or in 2023, I should say, on January 1, 2023, which is a Sunday, right? But if they change the day of the event, it's not really day one. What is it going to be? It can't be day one. If it's not happening on January 1, the whole concept of the fucking show is changing. So you might as well just change the name of the show as well. It can't be day one if it doesn't take place on January 1. That's the whole fucking thing about the show. So it's going to be very interesting to see what WWE is going to do as far as changing the date. Are they going to change the date and then keep the same name? Which would sound ridiculous. Are they going to change the date and change the name of the show? I don't know. WWE's got bigger problems to worry about, and they're worried about fucking day one. Switch gears to Monday Night Raw. Finn Balor. Finn Balor right now is a Triple H guy. We all knew that. Triple H loves Finn Balor, and there are significant plans in place for Finn Balor on Monday Night Raw. This was reported by WrestleVotes. They reported this week that WWE has significant plans in place for Finn Balor although details were not provided. WrestleVote says, and I quote, I'm told that significant plans are lined up for Finn Balor in the future. I don't know exactly what those plans are, but he's a strong favorite of the new leadership group. Expect Finn to play a big role in the foreseeable future of WWE. While in NXT, for both of his runs, Balor was booked as a top guy by Triple H, who now oversees the main roster creative. 
Balor is slated to wrestle Edge in an I Quit match next Saturday at Extreme Rules from Philadelphia. I, I don't know how that's going to go. If they got big plans for him, it would really not look good for Balor to lose that match if they want to continue the Judgment Day versus Edge and whomever feud on Monday Night Raw. I quit match. Can you see either Edge or Balor saying I quit? I don't know about that, man. I don't really know about that. I, I mentioned a couple of weeks ago that we may be looking at a Survivor Series match with uh, several different people right now against Judgment Day. One of the iterations to that match that I had booked, fantasy booked, is Rhea Ripley on one side, obviously with Judgment Day, and then Beth Phoenix on the other for the baby faces. Now, we don't know if that's going to happen, but if we have an I quit match here, something has to be done in the same vein as one of the greatest I quit matches or, you know, submission matches of all time back in 1994. A take on the Bob Backlund versus Bret Hart match for the WWF Championship at Survivor Series 1994, where Owen Hart, God rest his soul, this is why Owen is so great. He played up the role of really caring about his brother when he was in the middle of a feud with Bret Hart. Martha Hart and Stu Hart were sitting at ringside. He begged Martha to get over the barricade and throw the towel in to call the match over and give the WWF title to Bob Backlund because Bret Hart was stuck in Bob Backlund's chicken wing for about 14 minutes or however, however long it was. But Owen eventually convinced Martha to throw in the towel. Bob Backlund standing there looking at his hands like he didn't know what the fuck just happened. He just won the WWF championship. Owen, he played up this sympathetic role, forced his mother to throw in the towel. Brett lost the championship. He takes the towel, he runs, he starts fucking laughing, and he played everybody for a fool. It was all set up for Brett to lose the WWF championship. That's what needs to happen here. I quit match. Maybe Beth Phoenix gets involved and something happens to Beth Phoenix. Maybe Rhea Ripley. We haven't seen her get physical in some time. Maybe she does something to really fucking destroy Beth Phoenix who's sitting at ringside during this match against Edge and Balor. And maybe at some point they do something so dastardly to Beth Phoenix that it causes Edge to say, you know what, I quit. Just for the sake of my wife and her safety and her health, I quit. I don't know. I don't know. So we will see what happens with that. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm interested to see how they play that up. But going back to Balor, I mean, Balor was booked as a top guy in NXT his first go. Then he got called to the main roster, and they thought of him as a fucking walking toothpaste ad. He was a toothpaste ad and a fucking underwear model all in one. That Kevin Dunn notorious crotch shot of Finn Balor every time he made his entrance it was disgusting. It was ridiculous. They didn't really see anything in Finn Balor. They called him up to the blue brand after the draft a couple of years ago. They had big plans for him, and he got a big ovation. Then all of a sudden, those plans quickly went away because Vince ultimately got bored. Meanwhile, Triple H is letting Balor go out there and be himself. Balor has kind of taken on a life of his own with this Judgment Day shit. He's really kind of filling out that role nicely. Damian Priest is filling his role out nicely in Judgment Day. Rhea Ripley's fucking killing it in her role. He's allowing them to be. And they're not hampered down by fucking bullshit writing. Writing that clearly was Vince McMahon and Bruce Pritchard's that they had to go out there and regurgitate and it didn't sound genuine and it didn't sound organic. Triple H is not doing that with Judgment Day. Judgment Day feels like a legit stable. 
Whereas they felt like a legit joke under Vince McMahon. Balor is somebody that Triple H trusts. He's a veteran with veteran presence. You can put him in there against anybody and you know you're going to get a great match. So Triple H obviously values Finn Balor. Whether or not that means championship gold somewhere down the line, that's a different story. You know, but just like everybody else that we thought was unhappy and, and we seen not being used to their full potential. Oh yeah, I can't wait for this person's contract. I can't wait for so-and-so's contract to come up. That talk is not happening anymore. That talk is happening on the AEW side of things for AEW talent to jump back ship the WWE. We're not hearing anybody, oh, I can't wait for this guy's contract to be up in WWE. Everybody that was, you know, in that discussion was basically a Triple H guy that Vince McMahon basically fought, fell out of love with and, and found boring or lost interest in. Now we're not mentioning any of that. Balor was a part of that discussion. That's not the case anymore. And I'm glad Balor is inevitably going to stay with the company. I think this is a great move. So we will see what happens. But apparently, significant plans in place for Finn Balor, whether or not, whether or not that means championships, like I said, or maybe adding a, another addition or two to Judgment Day and really giving them like a, a, a true group, stable-type feel that dominates and takes over the show, and they're the number one attraction on the show. That remains to be seen. But we will see what happens. I, I, I got big hopes for what they got planned with Edge in Philadelphia. And then obviously he's feuding with uh, AJ Styles, right? He's got this little thing going on with AJ Styles. Survivor Series should be very interesting for Judgment Day. This whole Dominic and Rhea Ripley thing, the dynamic between them two is really great. A lot of positive coming out of Judgment Day, man. And that is because Triple H believes in Finn and is allowing Finn, Damien, and Rhea, all ex-NXT talent, to go out there and just be. And that's the best way to do it. Speaking of NXT, Candice LeRae, Johnny Gargano, both back on WWE television, both on Monday Night Raw. Johnny Gargano and Candice LeRae are back. They are no longer free agents. And WWE sources say that they maintained a good relationship throughout their last year in NXT, as well as their time off. One WWE source said that Gargano remained on most in WWE's good side, all the way through his contract expiring, not signing a new deal, and even through free agency. Fightful is reporting that they were told that he'd made it clear to WWE that he would like to return on his time frame, and they were happy to follow that. Several NXT sources said that Gargano handled his exit from the company with incredible professionalism, mentioning that he went out of his way to work with and get young talent like Austin Theory over and Indy Hartwell over, helping establish Dexter Loomis on NXT. It was well known within NXT that Gargano took his pride in what he did, especially since he knew he would be taking time off in December as far as a year ahead of his deal expiring. Feifel is told that Gargano and Candice LeRae were talking to the major companies. One would imagine AEW, maybe Impact Wrestling, we don't know. In the month prior to Johnny rejoining WWE, though we weren't given much context outside of that Impact Wrestling didn't seem to be a serious consideration. When Vince McMahon lost power in the company, several within the company indicated to Feifel that they felt way more confident that Gargano would be heading back to the WWE and not joining All Elite Wrestling. They believe that Triple H being in power was a tipping point that accelerated the move for not only Johnny to make that decision, but also Candice LeRae. Several times, even before Triple H took power, there was interest in bringing Gargano to the main roster. Now, I don't know why they have, you know, I, I don't know why they would have wanted Gargano on the main roster uh, if Vince was still in charge. It may have been a thing 
as to, yeah, I don't want him to go to AEW. I don't want to lose another talent to AEW and blah, blah, blah. I don't know what the old administration would have done with Johnny Gargano. You know, believe it or not, to me, I, I think that's bullshit. I, I don't know why they would want him because he may be hot for a month, two months, and then he'd get delegated to the fucking 24-7 title catering. He'd be chasing around the 24-7 title. He would have done absolutely nothing on the main roster with Vince McMahon in charge. Oh, he's too small. Oh, he doesn't look like a main event guy. Oh, this and that. He can't cut a promo and blah, blah, blah. He's boring. He's got no personality, blah, blah, blah. You would have never heard the end of it. So I'm glad Johnny Gargano did not go back to the W. Johnny Gargano looks like the most brilliant man in the entire industry for waiting it out as long as he did because the way things fell and nobody expected things to fall the way that they did, it worked out absolutely perfectly for Johnny Gargano to end up back where he never wanted to leave anyway and ended up back working for the guy he never wanted to stop working for. So it worked out great for Johnny Gargano, and it makes him look like a fucking genius. Same thing for Candice LeRae. But as far as incredible professionalism, the way he handled his exit from the company, he loved NXT. Everything that Johnny said about NXT and the love that he had for the black and gold, I mean, you even see it on his face now. You see it in his body language. You see it when you watch him on Twitch. You see it when he's just talking in in just real life. What what he what he feels like and what he and what he loves and values and cherishes and you get a, a good sense for the human being that he is. Johnny Gargano is very very humble. From what I heard and firsthand stories that I heard, Johnny Gargano is one of the nicest guys. I had the pleasure of meeting Johnny, and I've complimented him and gave him the props that he deserved for igniting my passion in the WWE product for what he and Champa did in NXT. And it was around the time when he was feuding with Ricochet for the North American Championship in NXT. So I told him exactly how I felt. And that's how Johnny is. That's how Johnny is in person. And his wife is the same way. They love this shit. They love helping the younger talent out. She loves helping the women. You know, Johnny is NXT. There's nothing more he could have done in NXT. So he was so, you know, prideful of helping the younger talent because he wanted to give back to those and make it feel like it was for him. He wanted to give back to all of those. Austin Theory, Indy Hartwell, Dexter Loomis. That's a tremendous human being. And I have nothing but high hopes for him on Monday Night Raw, especially with Triple H in charge. I think that's going to be something that we are really going to love. When Triple H gets really involved with Johnny Gargano, you're not going to see it right now, but when Johnny said, I want to win the United States title, I want to win the Intercontinental title, I want to be the world champion. When Triple H gets Johnny going, on the main roster, it's going to bring you back to those good old-fashioned Daniel Bryan, yes, movement vibes. Watch. What they did in NXT with Johnny and Champa was the greatest storyline, possibly, not only in NXT, but one of the greatest storylines in the history of WWE. With the matches that they did, WWE has not since then duplicated what they did in story and in work ethic. I can't wait to see Johnny get to where I know he could be on the main roster. And for all the people, oh, he's too small, he's a vanilla midget, he's got no charisma, give me a fucking break, man. You don't let talent like that walk and not have anything for them. You don't let someone like Johnny Gargano walk into enemy territory. You do whatever you can to keep him on that roster and keep him happy. And he's one of the best wrestlers in the pl- on, on the planet, in the world. There's no reason why he should have went anywhere, and I'm glad that he didn't, and Triple H got him. And it's going to be great. going to be great. If you love NXT, it's going to be awesome. Elias, 
We're going to see Elias back on television when, whenever he starts to grow his hair out again. Now, WWE is right now with Ezekiel. He's gone. He's been removed from television. I don't want to think of Ezekiel. I don't want to know of Ezekiel anymore. They removed him from the internal WWE roster this week. His older brother, Elias, replacing him on the internal WWE roster page. With Elias now back on the roster page, the question now is being asked when he will make his return to WWE television with him making a one-off appearance on Raw not too long ago. Well, it appears that uh, we all owe Kevin Owens a fucking apology. Not me, because I knew Kevin Owens was right from the get-go, but all these geeks online who thought Kevin Owens was fucking going crazy. Uh, Meltzer in the Observer Newsletter this week reports that Elias will return to WWE TV when he fully grows out his beard. That is that. Basically, you'll see Elias back on television when he has his hair and his beard fully grown back. Jeffrey Sculio is the name of the man behind the Elias character. He had to shave his hair. He had to shave his beard while he portrayed Ezekiel. And even when he was clean-shaven, even when he was clean-shaven, it just, it, it didn't sit well with me, man. The Ezekiel character looked fucking ridiculous. It didn't look like he should have been on television. There was no character there. It was basic. It was basically built off Elias. I'm Elias's little brother. That's all it was. But again, it's going to be interesting to see what Triple H does with Elias. You know, Triple H has never really had Elias on his roster outside of the time that he was in NXT, and he didn't really do anything in NXT because they called him up to the main roster, and he was mostly a Vince McMahon thing. But they didn't really go anywhere with him. You know, playing the guitar, Elias in concert, getting interrupted, it seemingly happened every week. Now with Triple H in charge, we may see a more, I would say, intense Elias, a different take on Elias. Still the same gimmick, but obviously a different vibe to the overall character. Again, something to keep an eye on and something to really look forward to because, like I said, Triple H is so big on character development, and we talked about that during the Bray Wyatt thing. What is he going to do with everybody else? And how is he going to get these characters to where they need to be? This is what he did for eight years, nine years in NXT, and what he did was great. Now he's got a bigger roster, bigger budget. His talent is going to really be put to good use with guys like Wyatt and Elias and anybody else that wants to come back to the company. So it's going to be interesting to see what he does with characters such as Elias when they make their way back to WWE television. Daniel Cormier. This name has been floating around in the news as of late for the last 24 hours. He will serve, UFC legend Daniel Cormier will serve as a guest referee in the fight pit match between Seth Rollins and Matt Riddle at Extreme Rules. Ariel Hawani broke the news on Twitter that UFC legend Daniel Cormier will serve as the special guest referee in the fight pit match between Matt Riddle and Seth Rollins. The match will happen possibly in the main event. We don't know yet. At Saturday's Extreme Rules pay-per-view in Philadelphia. Now, I know Ken Shamrock has been lobbying to be the special guest referee in the fight pit match, but clearly there is an issue there with Ken Shamrock and Triple H and Ken Shamrock and management. He wasn't even a thought, but he kept pushing for it. He kept commenting about the WWE shows as of late, and he kept pushing for the fight pit match and wanting to be involved in some way. Clearly, he got ignored. I don't know what the situation is there, but he got ignored. Clearly, they went with somebody who is also a fan of WWE, a fan of Seth Rollins, in Daniel Cormier. Cormier is a longtime WWE fan, and there have been rumors in recent years about him actually wrestling for the company 
for getting a role on the commentary team. I believe he was an analyst for UFC after his days in the cage were over. Extreme Rules will be the first time he's been advertised as part of a match. So this could clearly lead to something down the line for Daniel Cormier. He's a former uh, UFC heavyweight and lightweight heavyweight champion, or light heavyweight champion, I should say, and considered to be one of the greatest MMA fighters of all time. He's also a UFC Hall of Famer. So he's a former UFC heavyweight champion and light heavyweight champion. And, you know, it would be funny if they bring Daniel Cormier to WWE TV and they would set him up with Brock Lesnar for a match at Crown Jewel. Now, we don't know if Brock Lesnar is going to be a Crown Jewel or not. I mean, I think Logan Paul should sell that event as, you know, whatever they want it to be over in Saudi Arabia. But imagine Brock Lesnar needs to be a Crown Jewel. Who do they put him against? Daniel Cormier may be you know, a WWE superstar for at least one night in Saudi Arabia against Brock Lesnar. I hope to God not. I don't want to see that at all, especially if he doesn't uh, have any in-ring training to be a pro wrestler, Daniel Cormier. We don't know if he has any in-ring training at all. Imagine that, Brock Lesnar versus Daniel Cormier at Crown Jewel in Saudi Arabia. No, I hope to God not. But, you know, the fact is that he's a, a UFC legend, right? And he knows the octagon better than anybody, and he's a badass motherfucker. It's going to be interesting to see him in there as a, as a referee for that potential main event. You know, Ken Shamrock, you know, he was a special guest referee for the submission match between Bret Hart and Stone Cold Steve Austin at WrestleMania 13, and he, he wasn't really a factor in the match, but you sensed his presence there. You knew he was the fucking most dangerous man in the world, right? Ken Shamrock. I would love to see that happen with Daniel Cormier. I don't want him to be a focus of the match because of who he is. I want him to pretty much lay the ground rules and him lay down that he's the boss. Do not get out of line. I know this shit better than both of you guys, and I will you know, assert my, my authority here in this match. I don't want to see him be the spotlight, but I do want to see him get involved in some way like Shamrock did in that match with Stone Cold and Brad Hart at WrestleMania 13. It was just so subtle. Right? It was just very, very subtle in that match. He didn't really overstep his boundaries. I would like to see the same thing with Daniel Cormier in this five-pit match at Extreme Rules. Should be interesting. Seth Rollins. Speaking of Seth Rollins. He was interviewed by Daniel Cormier. Uh, not Daniel. Uh, Ariel Hawani. I'm getting my names mixed up. Seth Rollins was interviewed by Ariel Hawani, and he sat down with Seth in this interview, and this was part two of what had happened. Now, part one was actually uh, uploaded to Ariel's channel on YouTube right before the uh, Clash of the Castle pay-per-view. So we've seen something with Ariel and Seth right before Clash of the Castle. Uh, this was actually uploaded not too long a day ago, uh, and this is part two of the interview. He sat down with Rollins, and it's a real close look into the mind of Seth Rollins, who is struggling with finding his place in this industry, in, in, in pro wrestling, in the WWE. You know, he's given pro wrestling most of his, all of his life. He's given WWE most of his life. When he asked why he has a chip on his shoulder after seeing so much success for himself all these years, you know, he's had a lot of success. Seth Rollins is a future WWE Hall of Famer. Why does he have a chip on his shoulder? He says, and I quote, 
I just feel like I've never, in some ways, I've never gotten my just due. There's always like, I've never been the guy. I've never been the one on the marquee at WrestleMania. It was always John Cena. It was always Roman Reigns. In some regards, when I was in Ring of Honor, it was Nigel McGuinness. It was Brian Danielson. And I was always the guy on the come up or underneath. I was kind of the second or the next big thing type, you know? That always just, just eats away at me. It eats at me so much. I don't know where the competitive spark comes from, but it drives me insane. The thing is, if I was that guy, I don't know if it would just go away. I would always find some way to put the chip there. It's just the way I operate best. I have to have it for some reason in everything for better or worse sometimes. So why is it always the guy he describes, right? He says, that's interesting because you don't really. Wrestling is so interesting because it's at a point where there's a connection. You get with the audience that you can work and cultivate over years and that equity will push you to the top of a card or promotion or, or whatever being appointed as the guy is not always that simple. So I don't know. The biggest thing is maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm not as good as I think I am. Maybe there are people out there that draw more money, perform better in the ring, sell more merchandise than me. And I've got this inflated idea of myself. And that's the fear, right? That I'm just dead wrong. And so maybe that's the truth. Maybe that's just how it is. But I can't operate at optimum levels accepting that. You know, I just can't do it. I pride myself on my work ethic and my hustle. I feel like if I just settled for saying, ah, I'm just not good enough or I'm not as big of a star, or I can't be as big of a star as, say, Roman Reigns, Hulk Hogan, or John Cena, then I would be doing myself a disservice. I'd be doing the business a disservice, and I don't think I could go to sleep at night accepting being second best. Why I am, I don't know. He goes on to say he felt a great deal of imposter syndrome during his first WWE run, with the championship, the WWE championship, and still felt like he was the number two guy behind Roman Reigns despite pinning him to win the title in the main event of WrestleMania. See, that's where things really kind of get blown out of proportion. You know, Seth, and, and I'll go over this in a second, you know, and we've spoken very negatively of Seth. Nothing to do with him, just creative, right? We went through that whole process where he blocked us on Twitter and then he unblocked me on Twitter. I don't know if he caught something that he actually appreciated that we said. Now we speak highly of Seth Rollins. And it took all these years to really finally get him as a single to the point where we could legitimately say, this guy is the guy. He should be the guy to lead Monday Night Raw. And he's not that guy yet. And every single time something happens, Roman Reigns is bigger than he ever was, right? Brock Lesnar's still hanging about. You got Cody Rhodes coming on in. He's the fucking conquering hero that everybody can't wait to see crown the WWE champion because he's got to win it for Dusty. There's always something stopping Seth, and it's basically nothing to do with him, right? So he goes on to say to Ariel, when Ariel asked him if he feels like he's getting close to getting to the top spot, you know, he says, I don't know, man. I wonder 
often if because I live in the Roman era that it's ever going to happen. Maybe it never happens. The only time I was even considered, I think, for the main event of WrestleMania was when Roman got leukemia and he was out from August until January, whatever, or February it was. And it was kind of second behind the little babyface column there. You know, I got slotted in. I feel like it's one of those things like the best I can hope for is to be the edge to his Cena or the savage to his Hogan. Sometimes I just feel like there's, you know, ways that it happens and that's just the way the cookie crumbles. It doesn't mean that I don't think I'm better than he is or that I can perform or that I can draw at that level. I certainly think all those things, but it's not my sandbox. I don't make those decisions. The true competition of pro wrestling is making yourself valuable enough to be considered the top guy of whatever promotion you're signed to at any given time. The problem, of course, is that there are a million variables at play in determining as much, not least of which is making those in charge believe in you that way. So with, with him, you know, he is somebody that I've constantly said has kind of not been given his due, especially this year. Let's, let's concentrate on this year with Rollins. Rollins has basically been as selfless as anyone that I could remember seeing on WWE television in recent memory. This man wrestled Roman Reigns, has given Roman Reigns the best matches, some of the best matches that Roman Reigns has wrestled in WWE has been with Seth. But January happened, and it was out of the blue. It didn't really make sense for why that match happened on television. They basically needed an opponent for Roman Reigns because they had nobody else at that point, and Rollins was the only notable name that at that point he hadn't beat. So they did it at the Royal Rumble, and they gave you a fuck finish, and they gave you a Roman Reigns loss as close as they would give you a Roman Reigns loss to Seth Rollins, and he never conquered that mountain. Never. And the story is still open for Rollins to eventually take down Roman, but he's never going to get that point. He's never going to get that opportunity to take down Roman. Seth Rollins is never going to take down Roman Reigns, ever. And then we get to WrestleMania. He goes into WrestleMania. He doesn't have a title match. They make it into, or he doesn't have a match at WrestleMania. They make it into a storyline. We get to the day of. It's Cody Rhodes. We get a great match. He brings Cody to a five-star match. And it was probably one of the best matches of the weekend. And that is the first match of three. He loses that one. He loses the next pay-per-view at Backlash. He loses at, you know, Hell in a Cell. He loses three times in a row to Cody Rhodes. And he's got to bend over backwards to make Cody Rhodes' life easy upon coming into WWE. We need Cody to be a top guy. We got to ex Seth to go and do the honors for Cody so Cody looks like a top guy. And Seth loses to a man, basically, who has one arm. I said this then. He lost to a man that has one arm, and he didn't complain. Seth never complained. Seth never bitched and moaned. Seth never said a fucking word. He just let it be. He continued to go along with the character that he's developed for himself on TV and never complained about doing anything for Cody Rose. Three losses in a row. And now we see Seth He's had feuds with Matt Riddle. 
He beat Matt Riddle at the pay-per-view at Clash of the Castle. I don't know if that's going to be the same thing going into Extreme Rules. This match is set up for a Riddle victory to end the feud. Rollins, you know, he's kind of weaving himself into this Riddle storyline where it's going to be concluded at Extreme Rules and he's going to find his way into, you know, Rey Mysterio's business and teaming with Judgment Day and, you know, being alongside Balor and Priest and Dominic at Survivor Series potentially against Edge and Riddle, and AJ Styles, right? We may see all of this happen at Survivor Series. So he's weaving himself into this Riddle and, and, and Judgment Day thing. And, and he, he's not really getting, you know, to that point where, hey, I'm the top guy on Monday night. But it's not his fault he's not a top guy on Monday night because they don't have a top guy, period. They don't have a world champion. WWE's put so much eggs, so many eggs in the Roman Reigns basket that Seth Rollins is without anything to fight for on Monday night, so it's not his fault. No matter what he's feeling this year, not being a top guy, doing the best work of his character career, right? Or the, the best work of his career, character-wise. The best in-ring work, probably, that he's ever done in WWE. He's not a top guy because WWE doesn't have a top guy on Monday night because they don't have a top championship. So it's not his fault. That's just WWE putting everything they have, all their resources, into Roman Reigns. Seth Rollins also had his wife to work around. You know, Becky Lynch, she wasn't supposed to be in the main event of WrestleMania. Becky Lynch was never supposed to get as hot as she was. She had her nose broken, and then WWE, they fast-tracked this women's revolution. Becky became the hottest character in the entire company. Rollins was never going to be, you know, bigger and better than that. So they had that going on. He had to play second fiddle to everything else that was going on. You want to go back even before that, they tried to put the WWE Championship on him, and they never go back and look at the time when he was the WWE Champion, and they they had this story with Brock Lesnar and the fucking story that they told with Rollins and Lesnar and him basically getting beat up and looking like a weak fucking champion to Brock Lesnar. Yes, he eventually conquered Brock Lesnar, but what good did it do when we did not believe him up until that match? They booked him into babyface oblivion going into that match. I don't remember how many years ago that was, but Jesus fucking Christ, that may have been one of the biggest disgraces as far as a a babyface performance that I've ever seen in WWE. And that's the reason why we were so outspoken on Seth. It wasn't even his fault. It was the way that they booked him. Every single time he was a world champion and given the ball, whether it was cashing it in at WrestleMania 33, right? Or 30, what was it, 31? Or 30, what was it, 33? I don't even know, 31 it was, right? It was the cash-in. He never was treated like a top guy. The, 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 the WWE championship that he won, never treated like a top guy when he beat Lesnar. Even the Intercontinental Championship, they dropped the ball with him as Intercontinental Champion. Why? Why? Even then, all those moments, you put them into one big blender, he never truly felt like a big guy because they opted to give Roman Reigns all the attention. Roman Reigns was the guy. Roman Reigns has the family lineage, right? Seth Rollins is already fighting behind the eight ball because he's not a part of the Samoan dynasty. They're not going to give him a bigger plate than Roman Reigns. And it's never going to happen. Sad thing to say, Seth Rollins is never going to have a bigger place in the business, a bigger place in the WWE than Roman Reigns. 
So no matter how many interviews he does, no matter how many interviews he wants to fucking bitch and complain about why he's not a top guy, he's not a top guy because his business is a, is a very political one. You could be a top guy on your own show, but you're not going to be a top guy when compared to others. Seth Rollins right now, believe it or not, is the one guy out of all three Shield members that is the least valuable. Roman Reigns is the top guy in the business. John Moxley is bigger than he ever was in the Shield. John Moxley's name value now is greater, far greater than it ever was in the WWE. Dean Ambrose as WWE champion was a bigger draw than Seth Rollins in WWE. They gave Dean Ambrose a WWE championship run on his own brand, and they backed him on it. SmackDown in 2016, he had some great fucking matches. He led that. He led the charge on SmackDown in 2016 as WWE champion. Those matches with AJ Styles. They gave him his own fucking show, and he was the driving force behind his own show. They never gave that same to Seth Rollins. Ever. Yes, it sucks. It sucks. He was not treated the same as Dean Ambrose. He's not on the same level as John Moxley. He's not going to be treated, never was treated the same as Roman Reigns. Not ever going to be treated the same as Roman Reigns. Is it him? No. It's just the time and place in which he's in. Seth is the, is the stereotypical... Seth is the stereotypical pro wrestler who at some point in his career is going to say, enough is enough. I need to go somewhere to find that I truly can do it. I don't know why Seth is on Ariel Hawani's podcast complaining about these things that he cannot help. It does him no justice. It's not going to do him good. It's not him. He needs to basically go out there. He needs to do what Drew McIntyre did. He needs to go out there and do what a Drew McIntyre did, do what a John Moxley did, leave the fucking, leave the nest and go find success somewhere else. Maybe he needs to go join an AEW and be a world champion, be that Tyler Black, build that stock, build that equity somewhere else and make your own name. Because no matter what you do, everywhere he goes, he is going to be in the shadow of Roman Reigns and John Moxley. And he's going to try and try and try and try in the same company that he's been for outside of everything he's done in the Indies. This has been his home. His wife is here. He met his wife here. They have a child together. He's not going anywhere. He's not. Why would he? This is where he belongs. But if he really wants to take that career advancement and, and take that that. Seth Rollins that we know dwells in him to the next level, it's going to be, it's going to have to be outside WWE. It is never going to happen in WWE. Even when we talk about Rollins now and everything that I mentioned about Seth Rollins, when is he going to get what he deserves? He's the most shameless guy in the entire company, selfless guy in the company. He's putting this guy over that guy over this guy over that guy over. He's just doing everything he can for everybody else. But when is he going to get what he truly deserves? We're already talking about, how many times have I mentioned, yeah, Rollins winning the WWE title to eventually drop it to Cody Rhodes, if it's a possibility, right? Yeah, give him the title to give it right back to Cody, right? That's not making Seth Rollins the top guy. You're just basically telling him he's nothing more than a transitional guy. We're going to 
get you to point A to point B and then get from point B to whatever with Cody Rhodes, right? That's it. It's not fair. We as fans do it too. You don't think he, you don't think he listens to this? You don't think he, he, he hears these whispers and whatnot? Yeah, Rollins and, and Cody, WrestleMania, Royal Rumble, this and that. Yeah, we're going to end up going right back to what we did and, and right back to the fucking interview. Why is that a top guy? Because there's always somebody else. There's always somebody else. It sucks. It sucks knowing that you are fucking great, possibly the best at what you do in the industry. And the work has shown. We know what he is. We know how good he is. We know how over he is. We know all that Rollins has done, the character development and the iterations that we've seen. We've seen the shield and the fucking Messiah and the babyface Rollins and we've seen the Messiah and we've seen this fucking gimmick that he is in now, right? And the fans love him. But at some point, he's got to look himself in the mirror and say, do I want to sit here and be a number two or a solid number three for the rest of my career? Am I okay with being a solid number two or a solid number three for the rest of my career? Or do I want to go and venture off and be what I know I could be, a number one in another company to prove to everybody that I could do it? I don't know. I don't know. It sucks. It sucks. With Reigns there, for as long as Reigns is there, Rollins will never be given the top spot. For as long as Cody is there, Rollins will never be given the top spot. It's going to be a while. But Rollins, he should not be hard on himself, man. It's not him. It's not him. Especially when it comes to Reigns. I I sensed a lot of Reigns, a lot of Reigns angst in this interview. A lot of Reigns somewhat... You may see it as, as different, but I, I sense a, a, little, a little competitive jealousy there. Well, why is he comparing himself to Roman Reigns? When he won the WWE Championship at WrestleMania 31, he pinned Brock Lesnar, not Roman Reigns. From that point on, you knew exactly where WWE's interests lied in Roman Reigns. They were never going to do anything to, you know, get that Roman Reigns character you know, out of, uh, you know, the top spot. They, they, they want that blue-eyed fucking pretty-faced Samoan on all the fucking T-shirts, on all the posters and all the graphics. That, that's what they wanted. That was their guy. They were going to do anything to get that man over as the next big Hulk Hogan or John Cena. Rollins was never going to be that guy, ever. It, it, it is a fight that you are never going to win. So like I said, Rollins is the stereotypical guy that, could probably benefit and be a number one guy if he did leave the WWE and prove to everybody that he can do it. And then maybe coming on back to the company, they'll look at him in a different way. Because right now, when you got Cody and Roman there, they ain't thinking about Rollins. They're thinking about Cody and Roman. Shawn Michaels. Switching gears to NXT, man. Shawn Michaels says NXT will continue to recruit from the independent circuit. Shawn Michaels was interviewed by... My San Antonio, because San Antonio, Texas was just announced to host the Royal Rumble. Michaels recently opened up about his efforts in working with NXT 2.0 over the years, or over the past year, I should say, as well as the direction for the future of NXT. When asked if NXT was still interested in recruiting independent wrestling talent, specifically referencing Roxanne Perez and, you know, people like that that they brought on into the company that have, have found success You know, Roxanne Perez has done a lot of wrestling in San Antonio, Texas, as Roxy on the independent circuit. Michaels addressed the future directly. 
sharing whether or not NXT was only recruiting former collegiate athletes, Michael said, we are still reaching out to other people with the experience that have wrestled on the independent scene or been out in Japan or in other companies. That is something NXT will continue to do in the future. Nothing is off the table. We simply want to continue to find people that are just as passionate about the WWE product as we are. I can't wait to see the changes on Tuesday for the NXT show going live on Tuesday night, what the differences are going to be from what we see now to the 2.0 version that we saw last year. I hope it's all gone on Tuesday. I really do. I'm not really holding my breath for serious changes, but I, I hope it's a lot different from what we've seen on Tuesday night. And this is something that needs to be done. Soon as Triple H got back in charge, as far as head of talent relations and head of creative, we, we knew things were going to change. The NIL program is going to be a thing. They're going to continue to scout colleges across the nation, and they're going to continue to recruit people for their NIL program. But the, they know the slim pickings in the NIL program are, are, are going to be very far and few between. They're not going to find the next WrestleMania main event or the next household name via the NIL program. They may find one, but, you know, how long is it going to take to take someone from the NIL program, get them ring ready, train them, give them a gimmick, get them on TV, get them to fucking work the crowd the way that they need to, build their equity on TV? It could be a five, six-year process. You know, in the rare cases, you have somebody that fucking knows this shit like the back of their hand, has no experience whatsoever, and picks it up in a year, two years. You get someone on TV in two, three years. That is a rarity, it is not going to be an everyday occurrence. Some of these college athletes are not even going to make it through the fucking recruitment process. They may be fired in six months to a year because they can't handle and they haven't grasped the learning curve in the performance center. The last NIL program that we had was deemed as a disaster. People got injured. They hired maybe less than half the field, right? I think out of 50 or 60 or so, they hired maybe like 10 or 12 Whatever the case may be, it's not something that they could really just solely focus on. Hiring from the indies is going to be a lot more beneficial to them. Vince didn't want the indies. And I've mentioned this time and time and time again. Vince didn't want the indies. Vince did not want the indies because he looked down on pro wrestling. Vince didn't want pro wrestling. Vince wanted somebody with absolutely zero experience so that he can teach them in the WWE way. And that's the only way that he wanted them to know. Vince wanted people to know WWE as the only professional wrestling company in the world. And that is it. You wrestle our way. I don't want you knowing anything else before you come in here. It's easier to mold somebody into what they want if they know nothing else of the outside. They didn't want Ring of Honor. They didn't want AEW. They didn't want fucking MLW. They didn't want GCW. They didn't want HOG. They didn't want nobody. They wanted people that they could mold into their own without any prior knowledge of anything else. Because if they had to take somebody, for example, like a Jonathan Gresham and bring him on into the company, Gresham's style really isn't a WWE style. They would have to mold him into a WWE superstar and wrestle the way that they want him to wrestle, right? Train him the way that they want him to wrestle. And they didn't want anything that he's already learned on his own from somebody else in the WWE. That's what they wanted. Or didn't want. Now... It's probably beneficial for them to bring in somebody like that and bring in whoever has had years of experience on the indies because with all the young talent that you are going to want to cultivate, who are they going to learn from? If they're not learning in the PC, they're going to learn from somebody like that on their television and they're going to get better quicker. 
They're going to learn the ins and outs of what to do and what not to do by working with the veterans that you bring on in from the indies. So this is a thing that never should have went away. It did go away. It was brought back with Triple H because nothing else makes sense. The NIL program is not going to be enough. Your next WrestleMania main event could be an MLW. Your next WrestleMania main eventer could be somewhere on the indies. And you may be overlooking that for fucking some dumb bimbo blonde who's a cheerleader and has no fucking idea what a wrist lock is. And you got to sit there with that on your roster and then you may be sitting on her for six, seven years before she even fucking realizes what she's got to do. Not a good look. I'm glad that this is the way of the future for NXT. Guys, let's check the chat. We got 21, 2200. 2200 in the live stream chat. I appreciate you guys very much, man. Hit that thumbs up. We got 900 likes, man. We need another 100 likes for 1,000, and that is the minimum right here on OTS. We got four new members tonight. Thank you so very much, guys. Continue to get those memberships in. You get access to the new emotes that you see floating around in the chat. Awesome new emotes from my boys over at DV8 Designs. I want to shout out Don63. I want to shout out Wayne DZ. I want to shout out Trayvon, all for becoming new members tonight on OTS446. Shifting gears to AEW, man. AEW ticket sales for the last, I would say, three, four weeks going into October, not looking good at all. The Wrestling Observer Newsletter updated ticket sale numbers for upcoming AEW events, including Full Gear, on November 19th, which is by far and away the biggest selling show of the bunch. That event happens in Newark, New Jersey, and there are currently close to 10,000 tickets out for that event. A sellout in that venue would be a little over 12,000, so that doesn't happen until the end of November. AEW's got plenty of time to sell out the Newark, New Jersey show for Full Gear, so I'm not worried about that. Typically, AEW pay-per-views have been first-day sellouts with around 80% doing so. This was not, even though it was the first pay-per-view in the New York market. However, it's still likely to sell out or at least come very close and accumulate a $1 million gate for AEW. The secondary market gets uh, in price is $58, above average for the market, but lower than usual demand. Wednesday's Dynamite is in Washington, D.C., Their first ever show happened in Washington, D.C. three years ago, instantly selling out over 14,000 to fill that venue. Washington, D.C. on Wednesday night barely has 2,300 tickets out. This is the same building where AEW sold out 14,000 people for their debut episode of Dynamite three years ago. That is fucking abysmal. Not even 2,300 tickets in the same building that they did three years ago. Why? Why is that? Rampage, Battle of the Belts on October 7th. Both shows will be live in D.C. 2,000 tickets. Now, clearly, Rampage is not a good show. I don't give a shit what Tony Khan tells me or tells anybody else about Rampage. Rampage is not a good show. It's not a bad show. But Rampage is largely an unimportant show. If you do not watch Rampage, which I did not this week, I missed nothing. All I heard was Andrade is in a uh, mask versus career match 
And that's it. That's it. It was a bad show, according to many that I spoke to. Bad. Now, I wouldn't say it's bad. I mean, it's not like Monday Night Raw written by Vince McMahon. Uh, those were shows that really wanted to make me fucking gouge my eyes out and fucking bash my head against the wall. It's not that level of bad. But it's bad in AEW land where standards are held differently. Especially when you look at Dynamite, how great Dynamite's been as of late. The standards between the two shows are, are night and fucking day. You can see what AEW cares about and what they don't. They don't clearly care about Rampage. Dynamite in Toronto. This is on October 12th. This is essentially sold out, 6,800 tickets. The get-in price on the secondary market is $70. Rampage in Toronto on October 13th has 4,900 tickets out. Rampage isn't on TV in Canada, which could count or would account for lower sales than Dynamite that week. The get-in price on the secondary market is $6. So you can see what people think about Rampage. I don't know if it's in the same building, but it's live. But you can see what people think of Rampage compared to Dynamite if the tickets are vastly different from Rampage and Dynamite being 6,700, 6,800 to 4,900. Dynamite then in Cincinnati the following week after Toronto, October 18th. This is John Moxley already announced. John Moxley versus Adam Page for the AEW World Championship. Less than 3,100 tickets out. 3,100 tickets out for John Moxley and Adam Page. This is literally three weeks from now. Not good. Not good. Rampage in Jacksonville on October 21, 2,200 tickets. Dynamite in Norfolk, Virginia, October 26th, 2,200 tickets out, down from the last time that they were there. Rampage at Mohegan Sun in Connecticut, October 28th, 3,800 tickets out. Dynamite in Baltimore on November 2nd, 1,500 tickets out. Rampage in Atlantic City. That's my town. November 4th, 776 tickets out. In February this year, AEW did 5,900 with 5,500 paid in the same building, which is the Boardwalk Hall on the Atlantic City Boardwalk in New Jersey. 777 tickets. That is fucking abysmal. Abysmal. Dynamite in Boston. 2,300 tickets out, half of what it was last time. Boston usually sells out quickly for AEW. Bridgeport, Connecticut on November 16th, 1,682 tickets out. They did three times this number the last time they were in this same building in Bridgeport, Connecticut. And Dynamite in Chicago, November 23rd, 3,200 tickets, less than half of last year's Thanksgiving show numbers, which sold out immediately. Not good. Not good. What's the problem? What's the problem with AEW? Clearly, right off the top of the head, there's no Punk. There's no Kenny Omega. There's no Matt or Nick Jackson. The four, four of your biggest stars, right? Not with the company. I don't know how much that has to do with it. We don't know when the elite will be back. Apparently, there's an investigation going on. Until the investigation is completed, we'll see them back on television. Punk, we're not going to be seeing on television for nine months. He's out with injury, Taurus tricep, and I don't know what his standing with the company is. There's rumors that Tony Khan may issue a buyout of, of uh, CM Punk's contract, and he will not be back with All Elite Wrestling. So what is the problem? The magic 
seems to be gone. Now, there is time for these shows that happen later in October, uh, later in November. We're going, it's October 2nd. You know, a, a show in Chicago uh, for Dynamite on November 23rd that only has 3,300 tickets sold. You know, it could easily sell out by the time we get to November 23rd. There is time. But what is the problem? 776 in Atlantic City. I mean, we got Washington, D.C., 14,000 people three years ago that can't even do fucking 2,300 tickets sold in the same building they ran three years ago for their debut show. Why is this the case? Is the magic gone from AEW? A variety of factors could be a play here. I know for a fact that ticket sales are a lot more expensive for AEW than they were three years ago. It is more in demand. People are paying premium price to go to these shows now. They are a lot more expensive than they were in their debut year. Obviously, they have a bigger roster to pay for. They have a lot more names to pay for, man. They got a lot more names sucking up that payroll. So clearly, you are going to be paying premium price to go watch AEW Live. I know Arthur Ashe Stadium was the first dynamite in three years this year for Grand Slam to do over a $1 million gate. They didn't do that last year. They did fucking 21,000 people in that building last year, and they did not do a $1 million gate. This year, they did, what, 12,000, 13,000 people, and they got a fucking $1 million gate. How much more expensive were those tickets compared to last year that they did $1 million this year, and with 21,000 filling the fucking venue last year, they didn't do $1 million gate. The prices for the shows are a lot more expensive. You know, prices for these shows... You know, they happen on major holidays. That also doesn't really factor in well. Nobody wants to travel during a major holiday where airline tickets are fucking up and they're out the fucking ass as far as price goes. Then you got to pay for hotel. You got to pay for food. They make it a week-long destination thing. They got meet and greets and they got dynamite and rampage and then the fucking meet and greet and then the pay-per-view. It is, by the time you take you and your family out, you're out 10 grand. To go watch a fucking pro wrestling show. How many times a year do you think people are going to want to go see pro wrestling? On that level. On that scale. I'm not making excuses for them. This is just the way it is. This is just the way it is. It is not cheap. Especially with these pay-per-views happening in Vegas. And fucking, you know, Memorial Day. And Labor Day. And fucking this and that. Fourth of July with money in the bank. You can't travel during those fucking times. Why would you? Why would you? It's ridiculous. I'm not making excuses for them, but that's just the way it is. Now, the other thing that I know is a problem, and I don't see them rectifying it, they run the same fucking markets every single time. How many times do you need to run Chicago? How many times this year did they run Chicago? There is such a thing as burnout for... One company to continuously run the same markets over and over and over and over again. How many times do those people in that market want to come and watch an AEW show? You're burned out. I'll just sit at home and watch it. Again, it's too expensive to do this six, seven, eight times a year. Right? You're not going to want to do that. You're not going to want to do that. Plus, you got AEW visiting DC. You got, you know, the same markets here. Cincinnati, they ran Cincinnati a couple. Jacksonville at Daly's Place. Norfolk, Virginia. Mohegan Sun. Atlantic City. Bridgeport. These are fucking cities that they've been to 
It's like they narrowed it down to the fucking key cities that they want to be in because they know they'll draw well there. How many fucking times? It's almost coming off as if they're afraid to venture into new markets. Now, they, now they're going to Toronto. Sold out. I'd be, I'd be worried if it didn't sell out in Toronto because fans in Toronto, fans in Canada have been wanting an AEW product for a very long time. But they need to venture off and start doing different towns, different cities, towns that they have not been to. I mean, they sold out the Cow Palace in fucking Los Angeles in California. They did, what, 14,000 people their first time ever. It sold out instantly. Yes, this was before all the fucking bullshit happened with Punk and the Elite, but it sold out because it was a place that was hungry for AEW wrestling. For three years, they never visited the West Coast once, and it sold out. Again, I'm not making excuses for them, but this is the truth and the reality of the situation. Now you're looking at all these October dates. You got, you got Wednesday's Dynamite, right? By this point, the MLB season will be over, and the playoffs will begin. The playoffs will be beginning next week, depending on what happens with the you know, divisions and the, the matchups that are happening, the wild card and the uh, NL and AL, you know, DS and CS. How many people are going to want to watch the baseball playoffs and not go and attend a dynamite show that happens to fall on a Wednesday or a rampage show that happens to fall on a Friday. You're not going to take those primetime spots and then watch pro wrestling when you're going to watch your favorite baseball team if they make the fucking playoffs or are in the playoffs. You're not going to watch wrestling or go watch wrestling live when you consider home or maybe have an opportunity to go to the game itself if you're in one of these towns. No. No, you're not going to do that. Is it burnout? Is it that the magic is gone from AEW. Are people upset about the current direction of the show? I said this about WWE as well. You know, a lot of people were like, well, JD, why are you so harsh on WWE? You're a WWE hater. You're negative. You're this and that. I would never in a thousand fucking years give Vince McMahon my money if the shows are that bad on a weekly basis and you know they are bad on a weekly basis. I would have never put myself in a position to give Vince McMahon a fucking dime of my hard-earned money to hate something that I watch at home and pay money to see it live. When people see that the product is better and that the product is worth it, they would have a much easier time to spend their money to go watch it live. If a band that you love has a shit album out and you're fucking pissed at them, are you going to go watch them live when you've seen them six times before play the same fucking songs? And one of the biggest selling points is to hear them play the new album live, but you fucking hate it. Are you going to spend $80 to $100 per ticket to take you and the wife, you and the girlfriend to go watch them play live something that you don't like? No. I've done that, and I put my foot down with that. When it came to my bands, I'm not watching you play this shit live. This shit sucks. And I've seen you seven or eight times, right? I don't need to sit and watch you play the same fucking songs over and over again when I can sit in my fucking room and have a nice cold beverage and play Destiny 2 and listen to the fucking Spotify playlist that I put together. Not going to happen. Not going to happen. AEW is at a point right now where the quality of the shows is fine. 
I'm not saying the quality of the shows is is dead or they're they're in trouble or like these fucking half-bred fucking half-witted idiots online. Oh, AEW's dead. They're dying. Warner's going to cancel them and this and that. They just had a string of three straight weeks, four straight weeks of over a million in the ratings. Now, they obviously did not do close to that with with Wednesday's episode. They did 990,000, which is fine. I mean, that's not bad in comparison to what they did. It doesn't look good. But it's not bad. 990,000 Warner's fucking over the moon with that shit. Also, there was hurricane coverage for Hurricane Ian. Florida was being fucking torn up inside out. So people obviously were more interested in watching fucking human life lost and everybody fucking having their lives ruined from Hurricane Ian. That's more important than watching fucking Orange Cassidy or whoever else was on Dynamite, Baruch and Bandito on Dynamite. It doesn't matter. Nobody's going to watch that over fucking hurricane, uh, you know, coverage. You may have family, friends, and fucking whoever else down in Florida that you're more concerned with and you're obviously interested in their well-being and the sake of fucking Florida, right? So clearly, the news on Wednesday was a hit to AEW. Again, I'm not making excuses for them, but that's just the way that it is. The shows are not bad. Dynamite's not bad. Rampage, I don't really give a shit about it. I mean, Tony Khan can fucking brag about Rampage all he wants. It's not a good show. It's not a good show to me. It's largely unimportant. And it will not be important until they get that show at two hours to really make it a B show and make it live weekly and really treat it like it's dynamite. Until we get that, I'm not going to really give a shit about Rampage and what happens on Rampage. Is the magic gone? No. The magic is not gone. But there are problems with the company where the quality of the show, with this fan base, the quality of the show is not where it was during their year one in D.C. or during their year two when they were bringing in Punk. Now we're in year three. We're one year removed from CM Punk. Things went fucking downhill because of what happened at All Out. And Tony Khan lost Cody Rhodes, and he lost that medium for how things should be done. How many times have we talked about AEW being the alternative? AEW was the alternative. AEW is no longer the alternative anymore. How can they be the alternative to WWE that is basically giving them, you know, the same product that AEW is giving them? They were once looked at as the place where everybody wanted to fucking leave. WWE had Vince McMahon driving people out of the company, firing people. Nobody wanted to work there because of the current management that was in place there. Bruce Pritchard and creative process and people being buried and not used to their full potential. Now we got Triple H running the fucking show and half the fucking people that Tony Khan hired were Triple H guys. He basically loaded his his roster up with everybody that used to work for Triple H that got fired because Vince McMahon didn't want them on the roster because they were Triple H guys. Now you're looking at Tony Khan. Three years ago, he was the alternative. He was giving us something He was giving us a rival promotion that was not anything like WWE and giving us something that we wanted so desperately on Monday and Friday night. He gave it to us on Wednesday, two hours, and people loved it. People were drawn to it. People were addicted to it. Give me more. Give me more. Give me more. This is exactly what we want. Tony Khan's giving it to us. Now exactly what is Tony Khan giving to us? Answer that 
And think about that seriously. I don't mean this in any disrespectful way to Tony Khan, but when you look at year three going into year four with TV rights deals coming up, this is going to be the biggest year for AEW, the most important year for AEW ever. You know, bigger than Punk, bigger than Cole, bigger than Brian coming in, bigger than the fucking string of shows that they had last summer. This is the most important year going from year three to year four, the biggest time period in AEW history. TV rights deals. They're looking for mega money. WWE is going to be fine. When, when, whenever they leave, you know, whenever they have TV rights deals coming up and then their, their negotiations with NBCU or, or Fox, WWE is going to make bank. Their ratings are up under Triple H. It is a 52 weeks a year thing, twice a week, right? So they're going to make money. Demand for live entertainment, brand new weekly entertainment, 52 weeks a year without an off-season, that is a very attractive offer. That is a very attractive thing for TV network. That's looking for prime time, no reruns every single year. WWE is providing them that, barring a holiday or a taped episode here or whatever, right? Tony Khan is going into year four of AEW with his product realistically as cool as it has been. It's not hot. It's not what it was in year two. It's not what it was in year one. And we're looking at AEW not being that alternative. Triple H is now doing what Tony Khan is doing at a higher level. And Tony Khan is giving us what exactly? You can't be the alternative to somebody that was the alternative to his fucking father-in-law. You can't do it. So what is Tony Khan going to do to present AEW to us that's the alternative to WWE. And I'm not saying this, again, negatively. I'm grateful for AEW being around. I'm grateful that I have content to talk about. I'm grateful that, you know, these men and women have another place to work outside of WWE. And the fact that we're not looking at a wrestling monopoly anymore where WWE is the one overloaded and they can't take everybody else and they're overcrowded and they, they don't have a bloated roster. We have AEW that houses... Some of the greatest talent on the planet. We got WWE that has, you know, some of the greatest talent on the planet. We got two great promotions that we could really talk about on Monday, on Wednesday, on Friday. It fills our wrestling week. This is what we love. But what is Tony Khan going to do to create an alternative to WWE? What is, what is AEW now? They used to be the alternative, and now they're no longer. So what is he doing? What is he going to do? to differentiate himself from WWE. I'm not saying you got to go and do sports entertainment. I'm not saying you got to book your show like WWE. But he's going to need to get people together to really map this out for year four, to take AEW back to that quality that we know it was and can be in year one and year two. I have people, to me, that don't watch AEW anymore because they feel the quality of the shows have dipped. Whether or not that means, you know, you don't like the current roster, the drama has gotten too much, it doesn't feel the same, you know, the impact of Cody Rhodes leaving, the, the, the weak women's division, the way it's booked creatively, the fact that Tony Khan is fucking doing everything on his own and the creative process is not right, or, you know, you got talent like Wardlow and FTR and Pac... Guys like that, Miro, Andrade, the House of Black, so many others I'm probably missing, not featured on weekly television. Seriously. Tony Khan cannot do it all. 
Wardlow, I mean, this is a fucking thing. Wardlow has won the TNT Championship and has four fucking singles matches since he won the TNT Championship following his feud with MJF at Double or Nothing. This was back in fucking June. Four singles matches. Tony Nese, right? Ryan Nemeth. You fucking kidding me? Four, Jay Lethal, which was a fine match. Don't get me wrong. But Orange Cassidy, those are the four names that he's wrestled for the TNT Championship. Wardlow, they gave this guy a, a Goldberg fucking entrance and a Goldberg vibe to him. And this is where he is right now. In a feud with another champion, Samoa Joe, who's been off television, who hasn't really been featured on television at all, holding a dead championship in the Ring of Honor TV Championship. That's your plan for Wardlow? Meanwhile, this guy should be the fucking face of the company. Realistically, Wardlow is the future of AEW, if they want him to be. This guy should be booked like fucking Roman Reigns. Barely on television. Why? Miro hasn't wrestled in two fucking months outside of a goddamn pay-per-view match for All Out, where he teamed with Sting and, and Darby Allen against the House of Black. When was the last time Miro had a singles match? Why is Andrade somebody that you brought in and have kept off of television, barring injury? We don't know what his injury status is. We don't know what the fucking injury status is of anybody in that company. Wardlow may be hurt. We don't fucking know. Malachi was hurt. Miro took time off to fill a pilot in Brooklyn, New York for a TV show. Andrade may be hurt, but why isn't Andrade? Andrade's been there for a year and a half now. Where the fuck is Andrade? One of the greatest pro wrestlers on the planet, and you got him withering away in the back, mingling with fucking private party, and number 10 of the Dark Order. This is the best you got for Andrade, and no wonder why people want to fucking leave AEW and go back to what they know best in Triple H. At the end of the day, it may be the creative side of things and how AEW has been portrayed. FTR hasn't been on TV in a fucking month. Why have they been cooled off? Why? Dax Harwood was wrestling New Japan this weekend, and he got on the microphone after they wrestled the Aussie Open in what I heard was a tremendous match, and he said, hey, Tony, I know you are our boss. Book us, brother. That's what Dax Harwood said on the microphone. You're having a problem that did all of a sudden Tony Khan forget he's got FTR on the roster? FTR, Wardlow, Andrade, Malachi, Buddy Matthews, Brody King. AEW is all over the place. AEW has a bloated roster and he's trying to, he's trying to feed everybody at the same time and Tony doesn't have enough food in the fucking refrigerator. He doesn't. What are we doing? Why? What Tony Khan needs to do, and I mean this, 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 is, this is me wanting his product to be better. Tony Khan needs to step back. Tony Khan cannot write the show. Tony Khan is not a writer. Tony Khan is writing these shows based off what he knows from watching pro wrestling, which makes him everything that MJF said he was in that promo, where he said he's nothing but a mark, a fucking mark, who should be behind the barricade and not in the back writing the fucking show. That's basically what it sounds like and looks like to me. Tony Khan needs to take a step back. Tony Khan needs to hire a fucking writing team. He needs to get people together, and he needs to hire 
four, five, six, a team of writers. And he needs to get these writers mixing it up together to get this show back with compelling storylines and people that we want to see featured. He needs to set some structure in the company. We need to get main event level guys. We need to get TNT title guys. We, we need to sort things out. We need people who you want on television. We need people who the fans want to see. Wardlow should be on television every fucking week. Every week as TNT champion. There's no excuses. A writing team, he needs to get the people that we want on TV weekly. He needs to stop buddy-buddying with the fucking roster. He needs to stop doing favors. He needs to stop doing this and that and this and that and fucking being a goddamn fucking fan and be a boss. You don't think that this is weighing on the people who once loved this show and are no longer either paying for the show live or watching live weekly on TV. Things have changed, whether or not he wants to admit it. Things have changed. He needs a writing team in place, and he needs to be the one not writing the shows. He needs to be, he needs to be the one that is sitting with that writing team and going over ideas. He needs to be one of the ideas and not the final idea. He needs to be the one who okays the best idea to get the best show possible instead of having the show run directly through him with him being the only voice and him being the only one to put these shows together. I know he's got a team, but it doesn't feel and it doesn't sound like this team that he has backstage has any structure or they're doing anything to make the shows feel differently. They have nothing but TK stamped all over it and that's what made WWE TV unbearable to watch. And I'm not saying Tony Khan is going to follow Vince McMahon's footsteps and book a show as bad as Monday Night Raw was when Vince was in charge. But Jesus fucking Christ, if you are doing this right now, I can only imagine next year when you need to sign the dotted line for a TV rights deal and the show is drawing less interest than it is now. Who are you going to blame? You're going to blame the fucking talent like Vince McMahon did, never took blame for anything? Or is he going to blame himself? Right now, the only person that I see is Tony Khan to blame. That's the only person that I'm pointing finger of blame at. Nobody else. He's in charge of everything. If the fucking shit goes wrong and the shit goes south, I'm blaming Tony Khan. That's it. He needs people in that locker room and on that management team to take the load off of his plate. He cannot do this by himself. As soon as he does everything by himself, things are going to be forgotten. Things are going to get overlooked. Logic gaps will start happening more and more and more. Talent will not be used. He's going to push one guy over the other. He's going to get fixated on something and then leave someone off TV for four fucking weeks. Wardlow should not be on TV every... Wardlow should be, Wardlow should be on TV every week. He should not be off TV every fucking week. Ever. How you fuck up somebody like Andrade is Ridiculous. Ridiculous. The women's division still needs fucking help. Soraya is not going to come in and change the fucking division overnight. It's not. It's not. I don't know what needs to be done. These ticket sales are not a good look for AEW. And I don't know what they have to do to get back. But the magic, the magic may be gone. The magic may be finished. How do we get that magic back? How do we get that fucking spark relit again? Tony Khan needs to take himself out 
of the equation and hire a fucking writing team. Ring of Honor, AEW, this and that, TV title, TNT title, TBS title, fucking All-Atlantic title. Take a step fucking back and realize that you are the reason the quality has dipped because you do not want to delegate. Cody Rhodes is missed more and more every single time a story like this comes out. I feel like Cody Rhodes is the fucking mediator in all this and really brought down the company to a point where they can do and operate at their best. Tony Khan needs to hire a fucking writing team and get the fuck out of day-to-day business. He needs to be the boss, not the writer, not the producer, not sitting in gorilla, not this, not that, not fucking talent related. He's got how many fucking hats? He only needs one hat. Boss. That's it. I don't want, I don't want to see AEW fail, but at the rate that they're going, it ain't looking good. Dynamite, like I said, dropped below 1 million viewers. Show drew 990,000. Ranked number nine in the top 150 for the night. This is down from number one and a rating of 1.039 million. Obviously, the Hurricane and Hurricane Ian coverage dominated all cable news and cable uh, rankings throughout Wednesday's night. There were changes to Dynamite. There were supposed to be a, a, a huge, there was supposed to be huge matches on Dynamite. Former AEW World Tag Team Champions Swerve and Keith Lee were scheduled to be at the show, uh, but couldn't travel to the event. Uh, we got Keith Lee, who was there working solo. He worked the backstage segment with the Acclaim. Swerve was not at the show, could not make it due to travel issues. Uh, another name that was scheduled for the show was Samoa Joe. And it was a very Ring of Honor heavy show from Philadelphia with the Ring of Honor TV champion slated to be at the event. He was supposed to actually be teaming with Wardlow to start a program, tag team match program with Swerve and Keith Lee. It was supposed to be Wardlow and Samoa Joe versus Keith Lee and Swerve. I don't know if we'll see that happening on this Wednesday show, but absences obviously affected the show on Wednesday night. Bandito, he was on Wednesday's show. He was there in the main event in a tremendous match against Chris Jericho. Jericho successfully defended the Ring of Honor TV uh, uh, World Championship, not the TV title, the Ring of Honor Championship for the first time against Bandito, who's a former Ring of Honor champion himself. Impressive performance did Bandito have. In the latest edition of the Wrestling Observer Newsletter, Dave Meltzer reported that Bandito was offered a full-time contract immediately after the match by AEW President Tony Khan. It is still unclear whether he intends to sign the contract or not. Following Dynamite, fans shared videos on social media of Bandito giving Tony Khan a massive hug after the match. Khan excitedly praised Bandito on the microphone as well. It's a great signing. And I would absolutely go out there and sign him and bring him on into the company because I think he's something special. And if you watch that match, you know it, you saw it, and it's not the first time that I've seen Bandito. I know what the guy can do. I've actually called one of his matches, fortunately. Uh, Very uh, happy that I got the opportunity to do so. He wrestled low-key at High Intensity, House of Glory's High Intensity in August from Terminal 5. That's on Fight TV. He's a tremendous wrestler. He had a tremendous match against Chris Jericho. They're also interested in rock hard Juice Robinson. I would take Bandito over Juice, but clearly they want Juice Robinson as well. Uh, But I think this is a great signing. If it does go down, I think that's a great signing by Tony Khan. Uh, Roosh was also announced as being all elite as well. Roosh is now a part of the AEW roster. 
again, you know, guys that are already lost in the shuffle are going to continue getting lost in the shuffle. Is Roosh going to be a part of Ring of Honor? Is Roosh going to be a part of Dynamite? I don't know. The whole Ring of Honor thing is another thing that irks the shit out of me. Now, Wednesday was a great show, and understandably so. They had travel problems, and I understood that. I know that. I tried to let everybody know. But the less Ring of Honor I see on Dynamite, the better it is for me. They need to be their own entity. I already talked about Jericho being the Ring of Honor world champion. We discussed this already. I think that's a great move. It may be something that, you know, leads Ring of Honor to getting a weekly TV deal with him as the champion. I, I don't know how far along they are in discussions there with Warner Media or whoever, streaming service, whatever the case may be. There's a reason why Chris Jericho is the world champion. I do believe something's going on that we don't really know of yet. But is he going to be a part of Dynamite? Is he going to be a part of Ring of Honor? Just another guy, a great talent, going to get lost in the shuffle. Moving on. Andrade. Speaking of somebody lost in the fucking shuffle. He's already tweeted cryptically about his time in AEW. He's liked tweets about going back to WWE. He tweeted this week, nothing more than an hourglass emojis. Obviously copyright infringing on Karrion Cross. Andrade is wrestling in a mask versus career match on Friday's live rampage. Something that I'm going to have to tune into because this is very interesting. Why it's happening, I have no fucking idea. Andrade's career will be on the line on the October 7th edition of Rampage. He will take on Dark Order number 10, Preston Vance, in a career versus mask match on the show. But will the outcome lead to Andrade's departure from AEW after all the cryptic tweets that we've seen him either A, tweet himself, or B, like from other fans? He's been all over social media begging for his freedom lately, but it's unknown if he's genuinely unhappy in AEW or trolling the wrestling community as part of this storyline. Regardless of where the wrestler future lies, Jose, his assistant, has his back and a recent social media post from Andrade's manager further teased his client's exit from the promotion. He says, and I quote, you are one of the best in-ring competitors. I learned a great amount working alongside you. You brought me to AEW and I stand by your side in whatever choice you make next. Thank you for everything, Manuel Andrade, end quote. Now, while all, all these signs point to, uh, you know, Andrade losing the match, I don't really see Andrade losing the match. I'm going uh, to make a prediction here for this. Now, I know they're claiming that this mask was given to number 10 by Brody Lee, and they want you to think that Brody Lee and anything to do with Brody Lee, how could Preston Vance lose this match, right? I honestly think that Andrade is trolling everybody. I honestly think this is their weird... First of all, I don't even know why a mask versus career match is happening. Honestly. Think about this for a second. Why is this mask versus career match happening when they've done nothing on television to even warrant the intensity of a decision like career being put on the line? Does anybody find that to be fucking bizarre? Honestly. Either this is just fucking Tony Khan taking what is being said online and playing it up to generate interest for Rampage or Andrade is really done and he's been granted his release and this is his last match to put over a young talent that AEW and Tony Khan are incredibly high on. But nothing has been done here to warrant a fucking career-ending match. They've done nothing. They've done nothing. So why is this match even being booked 
Honestly, I think Andrade's winning, and what they're doing is taking everything and trying to spin this bullshit, play off the rumors that Black and Matthews and Andrade and Miro all want out. They've seen all the hype and all the speculation, and they're playing into the speculation online, and they're playing it out on TV and giving you a career match that he's not going to lose. I don't see Preston Vance ending Andrade's career in AEW. I would be fucking shocked if Andrade is being let go, especially after the report that Tony Khan is not granting anybody his release. He's not granting anybody their release. Meltzer even mentioned this on The Observer. Nobody is getting released. That's the doctrine, says Dave Meltzer. Tony Khan made it very clear in the last couple of days with Matthews and Black and Black having to come out and make that statement, right? Miro apparently getting thrown in there. He's not happy. He's not being used. Whatever the case may be, Andrade, that's the doctrine. Tony Khan is not letting anybody go. Buddy Matthews is not getting released. Malachi had to come out and say, yes, I asked for my release. I was never granted my release. People misread it, which is a fucking thing. People don't pay attention. I said this when I reported it. Malachi never said he was granted his release. People ran with the dirt. People ran with the online speculation. He was granted a conditional release. We don't know what the fuck that means. Conditional release. Maybe go and take care of you. You'll be back when the conditional part is up. I'm guilty of it. And it's not that hard to believe that they granted him his release. It should be something that comes with a, you know, basis by basis thing. You know, wrestler by wrestler basis. If he really wants... Listen... If Malachi was truly, truly, truly unhappy and he wanted out and he's not being used and he's not, and he promised this and he's promised that and he wants out and he explains his case. If Tony Khan does not release somebody, I understand. But if this person or these people don't want to be there, get rid of them. Get rid of them. If you don't want to be here, then get the fuck out. We're not going to miss you. Go back to WWE. Go ahead. Go ahead. Before long, that roster is going to be bloated. Everybody wants to go back there. What the fuck do you think is going to happen? That roster is going to be bloated just like AEW's roster is going to be bloated. He can't take everybody back. You got to understand that. But if Tony Khan has people on his roster that don't want to be there, if Andrade doesn't want to be there, get the fuck out. If Malachi doesn't want to be there, get the fuck out. If Buddy Matthews doesn't want to be there, Get the fuck out. Seriously. But Meltzer said that Tony Khan is not releasing anybody. So I don't know why he would put that out there. If Tony Khan releases Andrade, it is definitely going to be a situation. I said this about Malachi. You're going to have to let Malachi go. You're going to have to let Andrade go. You're going to have to let fucking Buddy Matthew. Once you release one, you don't think everybody's feeling the same way? I want to wrestle. I'm not being used. I'm unhappy career. You release one. You got to release everybody else that's feeling the same way. You can't make exceptions for one and not the others. Preston Vance is losing. I genuinely, genuinely, genuinely believe that Tony Khan, this match makes no fucking sense. The stipulation doesn't make any sense. Just played up the rumors, right? That goes along with everything on Rampage. Nothing really makes sense. That goes along with current AEW television. Most part, nothing makes sense, Right? You got one thing that makes sense, one thing that sounds great, looks great, sounds great, feels great, and then half the other shit is like, what the fuck's coming out of left field? 
But Andrade, I feel, is playing up the fucking rumors online. He's trolling. And I genuinely feel that they've taken all this news and speculation and are making it into a must-see moment on television, which is fine. It's fine. I just don't see him losing to Preston Vance, number 10, on Friday night's Rampage. And that is the news, guys. That is all I got. That is all I got. I appreciate you guys hanging out with me on this Sunday night. Very, very much. We're going to go over the Super Chats, man. We got 10 new members tonight, man. I appreciate that very much. Uh, I'm glad you guys are loving the emotes. And Jesse just made himself present in the chat. The Braves won, huh? The Braves beat the Mets. Wow. 5-3, man. That is fucking beautiful. We're now two games up, man, with three to go against the Marlins. Incredible. They won their 100th game tonight. Anyway, guys, please continue to hit that thumbs up. We hit 1,000. I appreciate it. Get those Super Chats in. We're going to hang out in just a second. Thank you for all the tremendous support. And follow me on social media, at JD from NY206. That's Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, and Cameo. And go check out all the other videos that you might have missed on the channel. Plenty of it, man. Brand new week tomorrow. September was the greatest month in the history of the show. Let's try and make October just as good, if not better, than September. Let's get into the Super Chats, man. We are going to start at the top, as we usually do. And we are going to start with Derek Anawaii. Still my favorite podcast in all the IWC. What are you drinking, JD? I'm drinking natural ice. It's a good beer. It goes down smooth. Everyone drink responsibly, please. Thank you, Derek. And happy belated birthday, brother. I got your uh, I got your message. Happy belated birthday, man. Jeremy Harris with a $5 Super Chat. What's up, JD? I just watched that horror movie, Smile. As I was watching it, I was maybe thinking Smiling Raquel might have the issue. Have this issue. LOL. Cheers, JD. Yes. Uh, I, I don't know, man. I, I think Triple H is kind of moving away from the uh, Smiley Raquel. Hopefully. He hasn't really smiled as of late. But we will see. We got a new emote, just in case she wants to go back and smile all over again. John Lamey with a UK $5 super chat. He leaves me a dancing emoji con on YouTube. Thank you, brother. Michelle Moran with a $2 super chat. Maybe Bray will first target Seth, then later Roman. It could be. We don't know. It's going to be very important on who he targets and what the plan is coming on in. It needs to be something that is going to transcend the company. Something with this amount of hype needs to have just as big of a follow-up than anything they've ever done. Heisenberg with a three-month membership. Thank you for the recommitment, Heisenberg. Are we live? You better fucking believe it, brother. Don, 63, with a new membership. Thank you, Don. Appreciate you, man. What are you drinking tonight, Don? Grimsley with a $10 Super Chat. My predictions are Finn, Bailey, Riddle, Ronda, Cross, with help from something Bray-related. Car looks quite nice. Actually, looking forward to this pay-per-view. Love Clash, so I know I will... I know this will top it. I think this is going to top Clash as well, bro. It's surprising. For a, a B-level pay-per-view, I think it's going to be topped 
uh, by Extreme Rules Clash. Awesome. Tay Tay, the savior with a three-month recommitment. Thank you, bro. Thank you, brother. Uh, who would you want to dethrone Roman Reigns? Rollins or Rhodes? Rhodes. Rhodes is the one. Grimsley with a two-dollar super chat. Love the new emotes, man. I'll get that Mustang. You better believe it, man. You gotta, you gotta be here for forty-eight months to get the Mustang. Grimsley, thank you, brother. Baby Shaq with a six-month recommitment. He says, "What's up, JD? Sorry, what happened with your family? Sending prayers to you, brother. What do you think about Daniel Cormier being the special guest referee?" Uh, I like it. I think it'll play well. I think uh, he needs to be an authoritative figure, but not too much to where he's the spotlight of the match, taking away from Rollins and Riddle. A lot of people wanted Ken Shamrock to be the special guest ref for the Rollins-Riddle fight. He did respond. Yes, but apparently uh, uh, apparently Shamrock has uh, some heat with WWE management. I don't know what it is exactly, but apparently there's heat there. Sinister with a three-month membership. Hey, JD, three months already. Wow. Hot take, but there should be more member-only live streams other than Sundays. You know, rambling. Love you, JD. Hashtag OTS for life. Sinister, I, I want to keep it uh, small for now. I I'm not, I'm not a, a channel with one million subs, so I can't really get away with that. But uh, Sundays is just about perfect, man. So we got 10 tonight, and I'm looking to get 1,000 before the end of the year. That would be tremendous. Mike Curtis with a 10-month membership. I think TK is related to Noah, except his boat looks like it's sinking. Bro, TK needs to uh, write the shit, man. He does. Wayne DZ with a new membership. Wayne, thank you so much, bro. Lord J. Coyle with a $5 UK Super Chat. Love and appreciate everything you do, JD. Thanks for being my escape. Thank you, brother. Thank you, Lord J. Coyle. Grimsley with a $50 Super Chat. Grimsley, thank you so much, brother. You get a round of applause. JD is apparently Moxley now with all his, all this blood. His little pizza money for this great place ran by Luigi Primo. It's me, Mario. All joking aside, thank you for everything you do for us. Watching the Black Ops two days. You got me to like Cod. Love you, man. Never change. Thank you, Grimsley. I appreciate that, brother. Johnny Cloud with a 14-month membership. Hope everyone is having a great Sunday. Cheers to 13 months. He leaves me an ace emoji and a rock on emoji. There you go, Johnny Cloud. Love to see you, brother. Trayvon with a new membership. Trayvon, what are you drinking, bro? Tenario. Tenario, thank you for the super chat, brother. I appreciate you, man. What up, JD? Are you a fan of the Halloween or Friday the 13th movies? No, I am not. JD, were you a fan of the late 90s IC and Undisputed WWE Championships? 2020, 2002-2004 designs. They were all right. Better than what they are now, I'll tell you that. Guardian of Chaos. $20 Super Chat. Thank you, Guardian. JD, I signed this to put on the OTS board at the venue. I consider it an honor if you put it behind the bar. Thanks. I'll be at the door. Hashtag Jesse Strong. Hashtag Mod Squad. 
Thank you, Guardian. I appreciate that, brother. Sorry about the mech tonight, bro. I had no idea. And yes, Guardian is uh, Guardian's been with me for a long time, bro. He's been uh, he's been here as long as I can remember, man. Always been with me. It's crazy. I appreciate you, man. You got to come out to one of these meet and greets soon, man. Fujins with a nine ninety nine super chat. Shout out to the new emotes. Hashtag get them out. I love that one, man. That's probably my favorite one. It's probably my favorite one of all of the new emotes for sure. Get them out. Emerald Lord with a seven-month membership. Thank you, brother. OTS for life. Common Pearson with a new membership. Common, what are you drinking, brother? Thomas Malloy with two months. Fernando Gomez with a new membership. Thank you, man. Drizzy Drew with a 499 Super Chat. DC is actually a different uh, building. First show was the Capital One Arena. This one is the DC Sports Arena. Different setup capacity. Yeah, but it doesn't matter, bro. I mean, for 2,300 tickets, doesn't matter what the fuck. What is the... Let me... I'm going to look right out. DC Sports Arena. DC Sports... Arena. Capacity. 4,200. Bro, they don't even have half the fucking tickets sold. It's still a bad look. It's still a bad look. It's still a bad look as it pertains to... Why didn't they run? Why didn't they run? The Capital One Arena. Why didn't they why didn't they go for 14,000 people for their three-year anniversary? So they're settling for this. And they don't even have half the tickets sold for the DC Sports Arena. Come on, man. Again, I'm not making excuses. It's just in the numbers, bro. It's there. Brandon Jefferson with a new membership. Thank you, Brandon. What are you drinking, brother? Also leaves a 499 Super Chat. What would your reaction be to a triple threat? Omos, Braun, and returning great Kali. I'm going for Braun to end both of their careers. Jaxo, 23, with a $10 Super Chat. The magic for AEW is gone, and now that Triple H is in charge of WWE, everyone in AEW realizes that Triple H will do them justice. Also, AEW cannot compete with the MLB playoffs. No, they cannot. This may be the biggest MLB playoffs ever, bro. The, f- the competition in the playoffs this year is absolutely tremendous, man. So, yes, AEW's, both AEW and WWE are going to struggle. Not just AEW. T-Mac with a $5 Super Chat. No, they were at the Capital One Arena in D.C. three years ago. They are going to be in a smaller venue this Wednesday. Still not sold out, though. It doesn't matter, bro. It's still a bad look. They don't even have half the tickets sold for Wednesday, and they are in a arena that holds 4,200 out of 14,000 from year one. Not a good look, bro. The Big Time, BT Baldwin, new member. Thank you, Big Time. What are you drinking, brother? Let me get you a Big Time cold beverage. TMAC 034 with a new membership. Thank you, brother. Robert Grimsley, you and Jim Cornette are the funniest white guys I know, especially corny because that man is a fool. I'm surprised you guys aren't friends. No, in fact, Jim Cornette's got me blocked on Twitter because I supported Matt Hardy during his broken Matt Hardy days. Jericho 8131 
with a ten dollar super chat with the amount of knowledgeable legends tk has in aw taz jr billy gunn henry white malenko there's no reason why he can't assemble at least three of them for a writing team i absolutely agree i absolutely agree brother Tommy Brannigan with a $5 Super Chat Brave. Sweep the Mets, JD. OTS for life. Get them out. Get the Mets out. Get the Mets out. Kenneth Hardy becomes a new member and leaves a $4.99 Super Chat. He says, good job. Thumbs up. Thank you, Kenneth. Appreciate you, brother. Sidro with a $5 Super Chat. Why would elephants make great WWE superstars? They've already got the trunks. Now I just need Jesse for uh, the thumbs down on your joke. Bushy Clementine. Two-month membership. Thank you, brother. Evening, sir. Good to hear from the IWC master while nursing a major toothache. Cue me up a vanilla orange twist, Captain Morgan, and a sake for Antonio. I don't know if we, I, do we have sake in the venue? I don't even know. I gotta I gotta stock these shelves, man. We've uh, we just moved back in, bro. I may have sake on Monday, okay? But thank you, brother. Furious Nation with a twenty dollar super chat. There's Jesse's thumbs down. We got another one, Jesse. Sidro's got another joke coming up. What's up, JD? I just want to say that I'm sorry about everything that happened. Hope you're doing okay. I'm always here for you, just like all of the OTS family. Thank you, uh, Furious. I appreciate you, brother. Thank you very much, man. Sidro with a $5 Super Chat. Which WWE event is the most respectful? Survivor Series. Sir spelled S-I-R. Viver Series. Also, I don't see Seth leaving. H loves him, plus his wife. Hashtag much love to my tribal chief. Thank you, Sidro. I like the first joke a lot better, Sidro. Kenneth Hardy with a 499 Super Chat. Love your work, bro. You tell it like it is. Keep up the amazing success. Thank you, Kenneth. Much appreciated, man. Furious with a $10 Super Chat. With the season premiere for SmackDown and season premiere of Raw coming up. In your opinion, which new songs would you give to Raw and SmackDown? Would you... Bring back to be loved by Papa Roach for Raw. No, uh, that song fit that certain era. I would definitely get something that hits a little harder than what we got. That ACDC song sucks. And that Monday Night Raw song is atrocious, man. It needs a, We need a, a, a heavy metal hard rock presence on these shows. Because that's what I translate to pro- professional wrestling. It goes one and the same. It's one and the same. Honestly, I'm not saying that that type of music can't have a place in wrestling, but... I mean, NXT got it right. I mean, just look at NXT's old theme song. But it should be on the main roster. That's what I That's what I love when I see pro wrestling. White Rabbit with a $5 Super Chat. Where would you place the White Rabbit reveal on the clock card and why? In the main event. In the main event. It's got to be the last thing you see before the show goes off the air because that's what's going to get people talking and uh, it's going to maximize your interest. Jesse, the trunk of an elephant, you fucking geek, bro. Go watch some National Geographic, bro. Jesus fucking Christ. This guy's already back in rare form. We're not even at Wednesday yet. The elephant trunk, bro. 
Jesus fucking Christ, man. Yes, an Alter Bridge song would be great for a WWE theme. That would be fantastic. Take the Crown would be a great song off their, off their uh, Walk the Sky album. Take the Crown would be a great song for Monday Night Raw. Uh, Brandon with a 199 Super Chat. Luigi's outside looking for a job, J.D. Luigi ain't getting a fucking job here, bro. He's not getting a job ever in the OTS venue. Kelly Thompson, the second, with a 999 Super Chat. Been a subscriber since 2016. It's great, been great watching you grow, man. Also, Seth can't be that guy, but there's no shame in being an Edge or a Macho Man. I hope Seth does get a big moment soon enough, though. He will. And there's nothing wrong with that. Jesse, go back to sleep, bro, okay? Thank you, Kelly. I appreciate that. Uh, and you're right. There's nothing wrong with being an edge or a macho man. Jericho. 81-31 with a $10 super chat. Good vibes and prayers. Good vibes and prayers your way for your family, man. It hurts to hear. In many ways, you seem like a close friend I've never met. Stay strong, man. We're all here for you. One love. Thank you, Jericho. I appreciate that, brother. Furious with a $20 super chat. Would you be down for Daniel Cormier being a member of the SmackDown commentary team with Michael Cole and Pat McAfee? I remember reading a report from late 2018 that Fox wanted Cormier on SmackDown and that Cormier is a huge WWE fan. Yeah, I would take his analysis. I think that would be great. I really think that would be fun. CTK with a $5 super chat. Wishing you and your family all the best, JD. Stay safe, brother. Hashtag OTS for life. Thank you, man. And Iman Perry with a 499 super chat. I fear AEW hotshotting the title on MJF to get the ratings over a million again, like they did with Punk. Go Yankees. Yeah, I don't know what the Yankees are doing this year, man. They're gonna have a difficult time in the playoffs. Yankees got uh some tough teams to compete with, man. Cleveland looks good. The Astros are over hundred wins. It's going to be tough. It's not going to be a cakewalk. It's not going to be a cakewalk for my Braves either. Dodgers got over 110 wins. It's crazy. Anyway, guys, I am uh, I'm about to get out of here. Man. My, my allergies are fucking kicking my ass, number one. Number two, I'm exhausted. Number three, I just want to relax until I got to get back at this thing on Monday, man. We'll, we'll be back live. For Monday Night Raw. I'm glad to be in the OTS venue once again, man. What do you guys like better? The beer garden or the OTS venue? I've always loved the uh, the OTS venue a little bit more, man. It, it was my first design like this. and It's got a special place in my heart, bro. But uh, I will see you guys back live tomorrow night, man. We'll be live for Monday night. More Bray Wyatt clues. More... Uh, Build towards Extreme Rules, the Extreme Rules Go Home Show. And then uh, Tuesday, man, we'll be back live on Tuesday, man. NXT, I got to see what these changes are for NXT. I'm, I'm going to be very interested to see these changes. I appreciate you guys and your support, man. We got 2,300 people tonight. 
close to 300 dollars in super chat 10 new members over 1100 likes you guys are awesome follow me on social media man at jd from ny206 that's twitter instagram tiktok and cameo hit that subscribe button down below if you guys have not done so continue to hit that thumbs up continue to hit that join button we got those brand new emotes man you guys want them you got them sign up become a channel member vip and go check out all the other content that you might have missed on the channel plenty of it get caught up before we start a brand new week monday not raw tomorrow night as always i'll be doing my thing better than anybody we are gonna be back in the venue as always man thank you so very much listen i need two things from you guys number one I need those guitar emojis in the chat, and I mean the new ones that we got now. I need those guitar emojis in the chat. Mustang emojis as well. And then number two, I need that music on Max. Guys, thank you so very much for all your support. Love you guys, and I'll see you tomorrow night live from the OTS venue right here on Off The Script for the Monday Night Raw Post. Until then, guys, have a good night, and I'll see you later.